You just heard Chief Rebel Angel from Entomb's Morning Star. This is the Patreon show Q&A slash potpourri episode. Oh, potpourri. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. And uh, yeah, welcome, although you're already here because you're Patreons, so you know you know what you're in for at this point. Um, yeah, we kind of sent out, uh, I don't know, I, I hope most patrons who are listening to this, you get the, you know, we have a Patreon page on Facebook that I, I try and post messages and use that to sort of communicate. But I, I we also posted something on the, the Patreon page kind of requesting. So I don't know if like, maybe if you don't get that stuff, it's just worth maybe checking that page every so often, perhaps, because I know not all of you are on Facebook, which I completely understand. But uh, for those of you that are, I try and, you know, throw you in the, uh, the, the private group that we've got going on there. So um, someday there'll be a better option. Yeah. Yeah. Someday. Uh, that maybe. doesn't have ads. And, yeah. I, I mean, there are options, but that's for people with more tech savvy and yeah, infrastructure absolutely. and all that kind of stuff. But sure. So, Mark, how have you been? Uh, how was you? Easter holiday? Got to see some family? Got to? I got uh, th- uh, four Bibles too. Oh, congratulations! Family, yeah, your family Bibles. Yeah, tell us about that. That seems pretty Eastery, <laughs> pretty metal. <laughs> the yeah, my parents are into the age where they're passing along everything, so they don't have to. We don't have to clean out their house when they pass. Um, so I've got like the some of the old family Bibles that they actually write down. You know, the basically both sides family of the family and, and all that kind of shit. And, you said your dad um, pointed one out and said, "Oh, that guy's like been arrested for pedophilia now yeah. or whatever." <laughs> so, yeah. Classic. So, uh, and that was a that was a Baptist guy. Oh, it was it? Wasn't even it a, was Catholic a Baptist. Uh, what would he be called? Pastor, pastor, or yeah, whatever. I believe pastor would be the uh, term. So yeah, it goes all over. Damn, all over the, all the different faiths have the guys like the diddle. But diddle, it's very sad. Uh, I did I tell you I recently watched the? Have you watched the Woody Allen thing yet? Yeah, we the talked part about it. thing. Yeah, I think we talked about it like just like bullshitting. I don't think we talked about it on air, but yeah, yeah, I, I, it was. Uh, I don't. Yeah, what a if you're on Easter downer. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's. I guess it's good. It's, it's out, but it's. Uh, it's it's a flawed thing as well. I mean, it's. Yeah. Um, it's a take on what happened, and it's. I appreciate it. it. Feels pretty. Feels pretty honest, you know. Well, yeah, um, but as far as like, there's, there's no. It's not like a true journalistic thing where they sure. take his side too, but yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of damning evidence out yeah. there as well. But some of these, I'm I'm wondering what's the point. Well, the, I think what I liked about that one is like the like last episode where like she comes to like she feels like she's kind of like moved on and healed through some of it, which I thought was like yeah. good. Like it was almost like she had to like make this and, and put this together and get at least her voice out there. So she yeah. feels like she was heard and now she can like, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm also know. thinking of from my perspective where I wouldn't want to expose my, that type of stuff to, I know, you know, to, to, but I think it was kind it. of out there and maybe it's just sort of the idea of maybe protecting others perhaps. Yeah. The only stuff I ever, I heard was just the, the Sunni, you know, I remember hearing but, about this, but then it was like, I don't know. It's just like, it's a crazy thing. It seems well, say. and Ronan Farrow was, you know, spearheading of the Me Too. So this it just seems a little bit like a little late to the game. I think he waited for her to give him the permission. Go-ahead? Yeah, okay. That's the vibe I've sort of got. It's, it's, like, it's yeah, it's really it's, sort of it's really well done. And, and things. Like uh, that. It's just it's very. Uh, it's not entertainment. No, dude. It, <laughs> I was I was texting Joe Schaefer as I was watching it because he kind of convinced me to watch it. And yeah, just every episode, I would. He's like, "Oh, just wait. It's gonna get worse. Just wait. Just yeah." Wait. 
But yeah, so anyways, happier it, things. Well, uh, it gives you, it makes you um, figure out like what's what's your line for uh, dealing with you know the art and the artist. Yeah, that's always how, a, how far do you separate them? So that's always kind of a tough one because and it's a with social media it makes it even more tough because if you post something that you enjoy and you didn't realize what something happened, then it's just it doesn't come. It just comes to like sure. pile up on you. And I think I like. You know, that was kind of the conversation I think Joe and I were maybe having is just this idea of like, you know, he's like, I still love Despel Omega, but I, you know, he's like, I don't know if I feel super comfortable like buying their like new stuff, but if I find it used, I'll buy it. Like he's kind of has his you own, like, figure that his own code yeah, you know, and yeah, stuff exactly. like that. And I think everyone kind of has their code with that because as a film teacher, like I appreciate Woody Allen as a filmmaker and there are other people that were part of his artistry, like actors and things like that. That's like a Plansky too, you know, like a Plansky's got a great run of films, but he was a fucking asshole. Picasso was a piece of shit. Yeah. Hemingway was an asshole. Like most, not, not to, 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 I'm not trying to, um, like say Woody didn't do despicable shit, No, no, but I, but I think we sometimes hold those types of people up to higher standards than ourselves. Sure. People that like create stuff. Yeah, we let them get away with things sometimes maybe. For sure. You know? Um, so. yeah. Cause like how many years did we let Harvey, you know, masturbate in plants while people watched and shit? Like, yeah. um, yeah. and all the careers he ruined because people yeah. wouldn't put out for him. And it's like, I remember having like some like subconscious thoughts sometimes about like, Oh, I wonder what happened to such and such actress. It's like they got it's, fucking blacklisted, you know, so it had yeah. like real like I mean and that's devastating been, consequences. Yeah, that's been going on since you know? the beginning of the film industry too. Yeah. Oh, without of any And we've industry. like glorified, yeah. you know, all those people so much too that it's just a different like that's you know, for for the eight, most of the eighties that was all the tabloids were just about yeah. I guess that's still all it's all about, isn't it? But I think it was like sort of an exploit I think just any any you know, being as a teacher and a coach, like you're in, in, and as even as a camp counselor, you're intimately aware of the power dynamic and the power that you hold over young people's minds and the ability, if you choose to wield it in a horrific way, yeah. to have so much power and grooming ability over, you know, young people and stuff like that. It, you know, it's something I'm very like self conscious of, you know what I mean? Like I'm well, kind yeah, of self aware and, and just uh, yeah, really you're on the careful. right you're on the right side of it too. But also like you, I don't, I think you re, you respect the the influence that you have on kids too, and I think you're a well adjusted dude. But if you're not, yeah, you you know you're this person that's just had their head in the book most of their life, and all of a sudden they're famous, and you know they're like, oh, people are care about me, then I'm just going to take whatever's out there, and it's yep. a fucking mess. But yep, it's a very it's an interesting look at. <laughs> just modern society in yeah. general. Yeah. Well, and also like control of the message too, because Woody sort of yeah. had the narrative for a couple of decades because of his influence and power within Hollywood. And I think, I almost think that's why that documentary was almost made was like a counter argument to the narrative that was already out there that like yeah. Woody's narrative kind of sanitized everything. And I didn't, I wasn't really on. aware much of his narrative outside of the Sunni stuff, what, which, yeah. Know. And I thought as a kid, I was like, that's weird, but I guess technically it's not, yeah, illegal. But then I didn't know about like the naked photos. Yeah, and no, all like, stuff. And the like, fact okay. that he was grooming her like before that, and she would like was shy around boys, and he kind of took it. It's like oh, the, and the no. theme. Yeah, the themes of a lot of his films you think as innocent, and then in retrospect, you're like, okay, these are yeah. You know, he was kind of those are like they're all power well, fantasies. I think it's so strange how like there was this sort of abundance, and not just in film, but in like a lot of medium about like sort of 
older male, younger female kind of relationships with sort of this almost like accept it weird thing. And then like in the last like 20 years, we've sort of readjusted our perspectives and sort of like come to terms with the fact that like, why did we sort of accept this? We almost like looked the other way. Like I know, like I talked to my uncle and stuff and he talks about like when he was in high school, there was this like really open awareness of like, there were like high school, like younger male high school teachers that would go to like high school parties and like date high school girls. And like everybody in the community was like, well, that's just, that just kind of happens. And it was like, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's like, at, uh, anybody at Bowie, Iggy pop, like all those, yeah. they were always like living with like, Teenagers. And, and a lot of times the parents signed off on it. And that's like the weirdest part. You know, Jerry Lee yeah. Lewis, like the parents signed off on that marriage to his like 14 year old cousin. And well, I'm stuff. thinking like, um, cause there's, there's instances where it's like, it's, it's not just about like, uh, Lolita, the film, oh, for yeah. instance. Like there's, there's a power dynamic happening there too. But, yeah. you know, it's somebody at the height of their powers and somebody who's, you know, yeah, basically struggling for, for rev- any kind of like relevance at that point. Yeah. Yeah, relevance at that point. It's it's very yeah. I, I there was a thread. I belonged to a couple like film groups, and there was a thread kind of talking about whether or not like could Lolita be made today, and like how how you know because it's such like a would it turn into I spit in your grave? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean because like the point of the movie is in in the book, you know, um, is to sort of show him as this like weak, horrific kind of character, right? You're yeah. never rooting for him. You know no, what I mean? Not and at all. So yeah. like. That's the point, but like, could we even have that discussion today because of like kind of the, the, the sort of the energy that sort of surrounds a lot of things? I think know? we could, but just not in that medium right now. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But it's just kind of an interesting kind of discussion. Yeah. Of like, how would Lolita look today if they tried to like make a movie like that? You oh, know, Jesus. I mean, if, so, it depends on who's making it. If yeah. it's like somebody who's trying to cash in on, you know, uh, woke points or whatever, it would be a completely different kind sure. of story. But, you know, um, but I think those, those types of types of ideas are uh, not, not really talking about their, uh, if they're, they're right or wrong, but just, just talking about those types of ideas. I think having that narrative possibility open is important for, for yeah. film and literature and whatever else it might sure. be. Sure. Not just, you know, it could go the other way around too. Yeah, absolutely. Cause those are things that people think about, but most people never act upon. Sure. Yeah. You know, that's like everybody, everybody has murderous thoughts. You're yeah. Right, everybody you know, like looks at somebody like that is a beautiful person. I really like to see them naked, but nobody really does anything about yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's like, and that's why movies and especially like horror movies growing up was such a great well, it gets catharsis and yeah. Yeah. Kind where of you explores could, those. You could see horrific things, but they weren't real. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of tempers you for the real world, but, or maybe not. Who knows? Or it, I, it may be, and, and maybe like, you could say this about like death metal, like, you know, you look at like cannibal corpse lyrics or cannibal corpse, like album covers and stuff. And it's like, you can almost like you, if, if you can find like a positive way to like work out some of like your weird kind of, I don't want to call them fantasies, but some of those, like those weird thoughts and do yeah, it impulses. And, yeah. Yeah. And kind of like, like to me, I can get all that out by listening to like death metal and black metal and things like that. And Absolutely. then like, it's, it's like, it's like yoga. It's like a workout. Like I, I, it's like that stress is sort of gone. Not to say that I sit around with like cannibal corpse thoughts all day or something. I don't No, but like not but even, like, not even like lyrical stuff, but like the, the feelings that you get out of them like that, uh, like get like amped up. Yeah. And that can kind of like dispel those in a positive way and not make you like get mad at a stoplight and want to like follow somebody home and yeah. beat the Which shit out the of the plot them. of a movie that you, you <laughs> said you watched from Russell Crowe yeah. called what unhinged unhinged. It's, yeah. it's entertaining. I'll, <laughs> I'll say that much. Um, if you got a uh, prime, it's on there right now. Gotcha. Yeah. 
newer fat Russell Crowe, right? Incredibly fat Russell Crowe, but yeah. he's really, uh, is he going full? You think he's going like Orson Welles where he's just like, eh, I think he's funny. going full Brando. Oh, okay. Well, kind of similar. Cause like, well, Brando was a, a sloth. Yeah. And I feel that Wells, he was, uh, he was wearing capes and shit and hats oh. when he's that fat. He had like a little bit of class. That's true. To how he looked. And Brando seemed like he was just like losing his mind yeah, fast toward kinda, the end. Yep. Um, and I, I have a soft spot for, for Wells, even though he became a big fat man. I think he was still a wonderful actor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love, I love Orson Wells. We used to watch Citizen Kane right before, uh, Chris, or, uh, spring break. So there, uh, there was a good, a good uh, uh, mashup where they're talking about that new Godzilla movie. Mm hmm. And they're like, what if there's Godzilla versus Orson or, or versus Citizen King where he has that room destroying scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. where he's like Frankenstein. <laughs> Just knocking all the shit down. That's funny. <laughs> so what we have obviously decided to do was, to, like I said, reach out to, to some folks. And we didn't hear back from everybody, but we did hear back from a handful of people. And we'll try and, you know, ser- service your questions as best as possible. Um, some questions, it was like kind of hard to like find the question within the question, but we'll. We'll do. It's, we'll improvise. That's so, what we do. Yeah, some might have been something that, you know, you might want to share a joint with somebody and yeah. talk about, and we'll yeah. let you figure out what you Exactly. <laughs> but we did want to start kind of on a, a, a somber note, but also a, you know, um, I don't know, honorary note, too, you know, to yeah. the, the honorary chief rebel angel himself, uh, LG Petrov, uh, who passed away between the last time that we recorded, I believe. Uh, might have been like yeah, I don't, right after. I don't have the, the date, but yeah, that um, one kind of shook a little more than most lately. Like, we've had a lot of this kind of yeah. uh, stuff happen, but... I remember the last time we actually recorded, I showed you that picture of him in the hospital bed. Do you remember that? And yeah. Like, Ooh, man, yeah. He's visiting so people, good. and that was like a conversation we had off mic, and then yeah. like a few days later, it was like, oh, yeah, because it's it was almost uh, it might have been like, almost like a year, maybe a little more when he started that uh, GoFundMe campaign to help with medical bills. I remember I didn't have a whole lot of money at the time, but I had some like extra PayPal money, so I threw a little bit over there. And yeah, I was like, when I it seemed really dire from the get go, and I think right off the bat, it said it was. Um, basically untreatable. Yeah. It was just trying to have some source of, uh, or some level of being mm-hmm. as you're, you know, like hospice almost sure. really. So we decided to, to start with entombed, uh, from morning star, uh, great kind of example of, you know, that song's always kind of been associated with him. in a in a kind of a, a weird way. Like he's, well, he's like a, he's, he's always been kind of seen as like one of the, one of the other, one of the guys, one of the like, if he wasn't in the band, he would just be going to all the shows anyways. Like yeah. he lived heavy metal uh, as much as you know any of us could even hope to <laughs> to try to do. You know? Sure, yeah, he's a cool huge too. fan of Raven. What's that? Huge fan of the band Raven. Oh too. yeah, was he? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, 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 it was just really cool to see. You know, I mean, we, you saw it with Alexei from uh, Children of Bodom, but you saw, I think, even more just gushing of people on social media and stuff like posting like a lot of just memories of LG and, and thoughts about him. And, um, yeah, I went back and, um, maybe I'll put it up, use it for the art on uh, Instagram. I put up some pictures I took of LG at Harpo's in Detroit in must've been like 1995. Okay. 94, 95. So like, was it Wolverine Blues tour or was it to ride? No, it was Wolverine Blues. Okay. I got, yeah, in my Instagram, I actually have the date because I wrote it on the back of the picture. Oh, cool. Um, and I looked up the exact date from, I just had the year, but the, I looked up the, you know, those concert 
things where they show like every yeah. throughout time, all those shows that have ever happened. And, uh, yeah, he bummed a cigarette and then we interviewed him for the, <laughs> for, uh, Requiem. for Requiem. Sweet. Yeah. And so it also sort of corresponds to sort of our first question. Um, and these are all questions of course, from patrons. Um, and this is from a recent patron actually, uh, Linus Hogland, who I believe is from Sweden. Um, and he says, hey, guys, so one thing I had on my mind, I grew up with Swedish death metal in the 90s, and since I'm born in 82, I was totally into Entombed going into the death and roll phase. At 15 to 16, that was a cool vibe with an easygoing rock and roll theme and catchy lyrics. Um, but some bands never really made it out of the death and roll swamp, and the genre overall got kind of a bad reputation. At least that's what I've picked up from the, my friends and other podcasts and blogs. Did you see that coming? The rock and roll style death metal? And what other way could the tables have turned, do you think? Um, and how did this affect the North American scene back in the day? I see the post-death and roll as the thrash slash clean Haunted style metal uh, or slash post-slaughter of the soul era as the style that took over. But there was also kind of dirty little brothers with Repugnant, Kamos, and later Watain that went in other directions. I think it's pretty unclear uh, to what wave we are riding at the moment since COVID made reunions for 30, 25, and 20-year anniversaries impossible. Otherwise, that was um, that was my bet a few years ago with Dismember and all the Finnish bands. What's the next big thing for Swedish death metal? Cheers, guys. Best wishes. Linus Hogland. I like you, Linus. Yeah. The, a lot of questions there. <laughs> yeah. But, but essentially death and roll, like what role did it play? Um, I'll, I'll give my quick take because it's going to be less lengthy than probably Mark's because Mark was in it at the time. Uh, for me, Wolverine blues was the first thing I ever heard from Entomb. So for me, it wasn't like a awkward shift. If anything, it was like weird to get in on Wolverine blues and then go back to left hand path and clandestine. And so it all seemed kind of that Marvel input normal. Yeah. It all kind of seemed normal to me. And it, and I think it hooked people my age in uh, because that was 93, and so I was a freshman in high school. And so, you know, why not, you know, adding those kind of stooges, kind of rock and roll elements and kiss elements and in some of those kind of aspects. But um, so I, I saw it as a net positive, but mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe did you and Chris like kind of detect some backlash in the metal community from the death and roll movement? or I don't, I don't remember the necessarily backlash because we were stoked just to get promos of that stuff yeah. like right when it came out and i remember being a little it was uh god what was it did you get out of hand first did that EP i think come it was out, or uh, man first maybe we had uh it was a three i had a three song cassette okay. it was like an advance that i think had i don't remember if i had full i forget what the hell was even on it but it had three songs i listened to over and over and over full of hell might have Demon. been full of hell. Um, I remember hearing the Hollow Man. I got Hollow Man itself before because I had like the like Bone House and all yeah. these other weird like the Hellraiser thing, and yeah. it was it's that seemed to like ease you into that record a little more than you know, say to ride. It was like a completely well, different I think animal. Eric in that era was like known for putting out kind of weird EPs that were like transitional EPs. Well, this is Columbia too, so yeah, it was like Columbia Eric kind of that whole uh, you know the U.S. actually like I don't know if people thought of it. As commercial, I think that was just kind of at the same time. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Carcass was getting more hard rock and Entombed is the same way. And Cathedral was getting a little more. Yeah. I think like, they were just kind of figuring yeah. out what they were. I think they were growing up, too. Yeah. Spreading their wings. And I think the if you wanted to have a an opportunity as a career for to be a musician, 
going and doing another clandestine is probably not going to do yeah. it. And like when you're that young, you got you kind of keep, you know, I mean, think back like how much you changed in the first like couple years of your, you know, your teenage years, like your tastes and uh, complexities on things. So I think that was uh, the the Columbia deal, and then just like their age at the time. Yeah. Um. So it didn't really throw me off like like I was mad or pissed off because stuff was so different. Everything sure. there's so many different sounds and. Even like the uh, like convulse uh, reflections that record came out, where it was like death metal vocals, but more of like had some you kind know, of groovy like psychedelic groove. Yeah, Zizma was sort of doing things like that. The Finnish bands all seem to kind of have some of those yeah. aspects of them. So I don't, I don't know if it was quite as like today how you can hard and fast say like, oh, this is this kind of band, this is kind of band. I, I don't remember it being that fractured, except for black metal. Who else do you think was part of that? I mean, desultory. I remember them kind of having like a death, death and roll sort of thing going. Yeah. Um, did Dismember ever really? I mean, Massive Killing Capacity had like. The, I think it's, it was catchy, but I wouldn't call it death and roll the way like Wolverine it was. It was like was. the new wave of British heavy metal. Yeah, it had a lot metal. more of that. There's a lot of maidenisms and stuff yeah. in it. Um, Who else would fall under that category? I don't know. I don't know because that was something that didn't really come out until later. That term. Yeah. Um, I mean, just like most journalistic terms but. but i mean i think a lot of those swedish bands i mean at least like the interviews you hear with like nikki and stuff like that they like all grew up on like kiss and yeah stooges and yeah you know i mean like yeah. they wanted to like bring like kind of that rock and roll spirit into like death metal and it like just made sense to them you yeah know? um so i never had any problem with it i guess no, i guess and- like it, you know some of those bands kind of became like sort of derivative maybe i feel like there was like third generation death and roll stuff yeah, honestly, I didn't really pay much attention to it because I was off on different another tangent. Yeah, so I'd like hang on to all the bands that I cared about and you know kind of follow them through their weird uh, Did you guys journeys. Ever get into um, oh boy, Desultory, um, like pro- the third record. Yeah, what the hell was that called? Like bitterness, I think was the was that the first one? Into Eternity was first, then bitterness, and then. Um, Swallow the snake. It's not that, very good. That was the death and roll record, kind of. The pro- yeah, the problem was the vocals on it sucked. Was it okay? It was I, like a transitional vocal period. The first two I think I are great. I've revisited those record. quite a bit lately, but yeah, um, I have bitterness and eternity. Those are good. Well, I, I think then the, one of the dudes went on to form a band just called Swallow the Snake. Oh, really? That was just more of a less of a death metal thing than they eventually, as everybody does, goes back and tries to sound like they huh. they did when they were really excited about the shit as teenagers. Yeah, I just don't. I'm trying to think like if anybody else that I can think of like went through that. Did Grave? I don't think Grave. I mean, Solus. Is that? Would you call that Death and Roll? I don't. What would you call Death and Roll? I don't know. See, that's Wolverine the, Blues. <laughs> I th- I don't think Wolverine Blues is either. No? I, th- I think it's got it's it's so fifty fifty straight up death metal like yeah. Eye Master and some of that shit just sounds like what what sounds more Death and Roll is the song titles and lyrics. Okay. Um. But a lot of the they sound a little bit more broad, okay. and not as specific as like you know what like through the colonnades or some of the shit on yeah. clandestine. It seems these are more everything seems more broad to yeah. me in general, like the riffing. But there, I think that's got way more way more death metal in it than uh, like to ride is just straight up. I, I, it's just like a noise rock record. Well, there's I don't really think there's any death metal in it at all. Yeah, hardly. It I almost mean, seemed like maybe a, not even really vocally, like a Swedish, like heavier version of like some of the eccentricities that you heard, like on like Helmet Betty or something like that. But, yeah, like done by Entombed or, it's, or yeah, like has, an Amrep kind of record. Yeah, I think it has like more that. more in line with Amrep bands than it does with you know 
Unleashed or something. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, it was kind of interesting. So. But Unleashed, you know, did some turds around then too. They did. Uh, oh, Victory. Was the, the one where he started great. sounding like Pee Wee Herman when he was singing, it was just not not good at all. You were always more into them than I was, so I, I like the first three records a lot. Yeah, and then and then they the came back the with uh, like Midvinter Bolt and yeah. some of that stuff, where yeah. it just kind of returned to form. But do you think that like okay, so the question that he kind of formulated another part was this idea of like you know you had like the 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 HM two kind of thing going on in the early nineties, and then you had kind of like quote unquote death and roll, which may have just been a journalistic term. You know, for like broadening death metal. Yeah. Then you, he kind of says what followed was like sort of the post at the gates haunted kind of retro thrash kind of thing. Do you think that that's kind of, I mean, I think you got to throw a melodic like Gothenburg thing in there too, because that was sort of simultaneously happening on throughout the 90s in Sweden in addition yeah. to what Entomb was sort of doing. I think as being as I just picked up that uh, Zisma box set. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it came out in 91. Okay. And I feel like that's probably the first death and roll record if you want to go back to like that. The very... So you think more death and roll was like a finished thing with Convulse and Zizma than it was I maybe see more natural. Thing? Yeah. Yeah. Or just kind of like putting those kind of elements in, but also um, keeping the vocals as, as guttural and ridiculous as possible. Yeah. Um, but all the everything else seemed like it was like the, the next thrash wave. Yeah. You know, all the Gothenburg stuff. It was like. Death metal through that, but then at the gates and, um, I mean, mostly yeah, it's mostly the at the gates crew. Like the first haunted record, I don't really like. I find it just too repetitive. Sure, but like haunted made me do it. I think is, That's a, my favorite is a great record as well. Yeah. Um, One kill wonder is good too. I mean, the it's crown the same. was sort of reaching their peak in that era too, yeah. and they kind of were thrash based. Yeah, you know? um, um, witchery was kind of coming out as well around then. Yeah, you know, but yeah, that it's it's the. The death and roll thing, I don't even, maybe I just was ignorant to a lot of it, but I don't really see it as much of a, a scene as much as uh, just kind of like attributes you could <laughs> give to a band or yeah, something. sure. Next big thing for Swedish death metal. Boy. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Mark and I are the people to have our, our finger on that pulse where we don't pay as much attention maybe to like, I'm more interested like, like the stuff like Chris will point out, like, hey, this weird shit's happening in Germany right now. Like, it just seems like there's other countries that are doing more, yeah, under like innovative things almost. You know what I mean? Like, um, that whole German Swiss kind of thing that that's kind of happening. But I don't know, like newer Swedish bands. I, I mean, I guess Tribulation in Solitude, Ghost. I mean, they're they're, they're not they're really cutting edge anymore. Ten yeah. years old. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. that's not like the next thing. I feel like so. I don't even know. I feel like the next things they're at this point they're incremental. Yeah, we can't see things. Them. Yeah, you can't. I and mean, like, you could kind of say there's like some weird thing in like Colorado sort of happening, you know, or there's like yeah. little pockets, but will that really turn into a scene or is it just like a little mini movement? You know? I I don't think the scenes really exist as much on um similarities as they did. Yeah. It's more like a geographic thing or if, if it's like a mindset. Sure. Um like you know, like weird archaic death metal shit that comes out of Colorado is like they, they have that in spades. Sure, um, or like uh, the Pacific Northwest has like some really interesting like swampy shit and gothy stuff and like isn't Ueda like out from out there too? Yeah, probably. I, I don't know much. I about think they're that, up but. like Seattle kind of area, Oregon yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, all these different bands don't really sound anything alike. But it's just like this it's kind of vibrant, sure, vibrant scene happening. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think especially with most of like the first guard still being active, it's hard to see what's because like the the first guard, most of the at least the bands I really care about following have gone as far as death metal could take them, go on a different journey, and eventually find the sign, come back to extreme metal. You know, being kind of like a, another place where they want to. Yeah, you know, there's uh, like PL or Mighty Bride or some you know some of those types of bands. Sure, I'm uh, really kind of finding that again and. I don't know where else there's there's to go necessarily. Sure. Because we thought in, you know, by the time like fuck ninety five ninety six came along, it's like what else can there possibly be? Well, and it seemed that there was kind of a change of the guard then because that that late nineties period is such a weird tumultuous period for like underground metal. You yeah. Know, death metal was kind of especially in America, it kind of played itself out, and a few other things that were sort of happening. But there was always something happening in the underground. Mm-hmm. We just you said to wait and see what it was going to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't think anybody's really been predictive on what's going to be the, no, the next big, like even look at like magazines, like what people cover. It's like, a, it's always just a guess. Sure. A lot of that stuff doesn't stick like as good as, um, Oh fuck. We're that of, uh, noisem. Oh yeah. Great, great band, but on the decibel tour, tour the yeah. whole thing, you know, they seem to have this like crazy momentum and then they just didn't stick like for whatever reason. Um, I mean, same with like the, we talked about in solitude. Yeah. Like people just weren't, that wasn't the thing at the time. Like if it came out now, it would probably be Gigantic. way more yeah. successful. Yeah, exactly. But, so. uh, yeah, that's a, that's a difficult question. Yeah, to answer. Tough, tough for us to prognosticate, but, uh, but Linus, we are also going to play another death and roll song for you in the, in the next set of music. So we're, we're going to play it back to back with uh, our, another in tune morning star tune. Uh, it's one of your favorite ones. You said bringer of light. It's kind of one that. Yeah, it's, it's got a lot of stuff going on. It's very kind of hokey and keyboards and stuff yeah. and piano. And stuff. That it's record's fun. really like e- e- eclectic. I dig it a lot. I think it's their last great thing they did. Hmm. That's an interesting. It's it's might be my last favorite entombed because like unreal estate. Eh, that's okay. That's like an interesting concert thing. Sure, you know what I mean it's like a yeah. really interesting concept. And there's like uh, half a serpent saints is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's like going back to the more uh, they're trying to revisit their past a little bit. Yeah, um, well, you might be right with that. that but might... the last entombed AD, the bowels of yeah, bowels we, of earth. I like that, that a lot. Was great. We talked about that in a patron show. I think. Yeah, yeah. So. Anytime you start out a album with, <coughs> <laughs> it's always good. Always a good sign. So our next question is um, from another new patron as well, and that is Jess uh, Leone. Mm-hmm. Leone, um, I think that's her married name. I don't know or her middle name. So what she goes by? Yeah, on Facebook. I, yeah. I don't know how so, I haven't seen it. The yeah. last name, so I'm not sure. How to but um, so thank you for being a new patron and stuff. And she's actually been reaching out to me about like quite a few things. She's like, I went back and listened to the '69 Proto Metal Show and like, nice, it's cool. So like, I it's get, nice that we have enough stuff that's fairly evergreen. So yeah, exactly. She'll like around. ask me questions about like, wait, did you guys do one on like Nagelfar and like, it's cool. So she seems to be really embracing it, but. Nice. Uh, she said, I'm, I'm a newbie, but if you haven't done so on another episode, I think it would be fun to hear about your number one favorite concert, each of you attended, and why a lot of people are missing going to shows right now. So provide as much detail as possible, set lists, opening acts, stupid anecdotes. Uh, we can live vicariously through your memories. She said, if that's too dorky or off topic, it won't hurt my feelings if you don't talk about it on the show. I've honestly just been curious what a real metal show would be like. Um, this is pretty funny. She goes, I'm about five, three hundred and ten pounds. I've literally been thrown through chairs and drywall, uh, walls at hardcore shows and generally got the shit kicked out of me in the pit. 
But I'll always regret not seeing Watane at Harpo's because I was too scared to go by myself. <laughs> uh, why does metal have that stigma? There's a question. Like, I might get beat up at a hardcore show, but this black metal band might actually kill me. <laughs> so... I don't know if that's really a stigma. It's like maybe more. I think for that, for especially now, I mean, I don't know when, I forget when that Watane show was at Harpo's, but that would have been. That was the one where they had to like hire like a cleaning crew to come in afterwards. Yeah, but there's barely anybody there. Yeah. You could have watched them from afar, I think. Cause so I, think, I wonder if uh, a lot of people were just like, like in her situation, they were kind of scared to go. So. Maybe because I'd seen them a couple, maybe at least once before that time we had seen them at least like once or, or twice two times yeah um but yeah i remember going on there this is pre uh how was it like pre uber yeah and uh did you go to that show the harpo show yeah i was there okay because we yeah. went with uh mark and that dude that he knew from work that dropped us off or was really? that cannibal corpse that might have been Cannibal Tour. corpse i wasn't at that show maybe that's what i'm thinking yeah. of yeah harpo's we went together for sure okay i remember um, but I still, I don't think there's maybe there's maybe 40 or 50 people there. Yeah. It wasn't super crowded. You know? Yeah. Um, what's so what, do you have a, a top show? I got a couple I can think of. I definitely can't remember set lists. Yeah. But. I, well, I have one that's because of the set list. Um, and I, you know, I, I know I've talked about this like years and years and years ago. So I apologize to people that have listened to our early episodes recently. Um, for me, I think one that sort of stands out and it's kind of like the moment that, I think it solidified a couple of like favorite things for myself. Um, it was metal fest, uh, Milwaukee metal fest. I think it was 2000 or 2001, but it was the year that, uh, Opeth Catatonia, um, played their first U S shows. Um, Oh, I think think it was Oh one. It was Oh one. That was the last Um, time we went. Anathema. No, we went the year after they, the next year. Oh, two. Mm-hmm. I think, or whatever the the last year that we ever went to Milwaukee, that was the year that Anathema played a journalist-only acoustic set, and we ended up back at their hotel doing interviews. Because Anathema played two years in a row. Okay. The year before, they played with Opeth and Catatonia. All three like played at that Metal Fest. And that Metal okay. Fest was like my all-time favorite, because those are, like, at the time, like maybe my three favorite, like especially European metal bands. Um just because of where I was at in my life and I was you know, listening to a lot of indie rock and, and they kind of all seemed to be melding a lot of those elements together. But I just found a bunch of negatives from all those things from that, uh, the acoustic show. Oh yeah. And yeah. all the catatonia played in like a, they're con- there was like, it looked like a fucking restaurant part of the area where they're, it was like a small room. It was weird. Yeah. Um, I've got some, I found another role. Cool. Film of that yeah. No, I have a couple photos of Jonas on stage from probably from your role originally yeah. uh, that I have, um, in a photo book and stuff. But, but what I remember so much about that is, um, Jonas is kind of like agoraphobia on stage that he was kind of like super nervous and super freaked out the whole time. And so I know you guys can't sort of see us, but he was sort of, as he sang, he would like kind of close his eyes. Um, and when he wasn't singing, he would like kind of put the mic in between his, like his, on his kind of forehead and sort of close his eyes and look down or he'd stare up at the sky. Like he, he was really nervous to sort of be there and it kind of added this like kind of anxiety, which there's a lot of anxiety, I think to kind of catatonia's music in general, um, yeah. insecurities and, and all those kind of things. And so I really felt that in that moment. And then, um, I remember kind of hoping, like, um, you know, I wonder if they'll play something old, you know, because at that point they had been a, a couple, three records into clean vocals. And so it's, you know, hard to know. Um, 
And it got to the end of that show, and um, they only played like forty minutes, maybe. Yeah, it wasn't long, and the sound wasn't like great, but like it was still fine. It was just I didn't care at that point. We knew the I, songs I just, enough. To I was film just the so gap. happy. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, and then, like you know, they kind of played. I don't know, probably something off Last Fear Deal Gone Down, and I don't know if they said that we have one more, but. Um, all of a sudden, the opening chords of End Time came on, and I just kind of remember perking up. And at that point, I was into Brave Murder Day a lot, but um, Brave Murder Day came out in 96, and I was still like a junior in high school. And so I, I was still trying to like absorb and understand that record. I knew I liked it a lot, but very quickly after Discouraged Ones came out, and that was an easier record for me to like jump onto because oh, that was sure. also a record I could like get girls into, you know, like I could play him, saw you drown and and things like that. And so, you know, like I was still, I think in my subconscious kind of processing like brave murder day and all the, the sort of things happening. I think at that point I really focused on brave and murder, the first two songs. And I hadn't fully digested like the back half of that, that record a lot because there's a lot going on, you know, and those opening chords at end time sort of happen. I I knew it was from brave murder day, but I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't name the song, but I was like, oh shit, I, I I know this song. And I was super pumped. And I just remember kind of thinking like, is he, what, what's, what's Jonas going to do? Cause he didn't actually sing on that record. He hadn't done like those kind of vocals in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was almost like this cathartic moment for him and all of his anxiety and all of his nervousness. And like, he was kind of holding the mic like up against his forehead while, you know, Anders is playing like that sort of long kind of minute and a half intro and stuff. And then they play that like, like just like epic kind of riff. And then all of a sudden, like Jonas, like went and you, the front of the crowd moved back. It was awesome. Like it was like he was like all his like anxiety and in anger and shit like just came out. It was like so cathartic for him and I was like, "Whoa." I was like totally moved. And I don't know if you remember the end of that show, but after he kind of like sings his last part, there's like about a minute and a half, right, of like outro of music. He doesn't drop the mic and walk off or something. He dropped the mic and ran off stage to try and get out the back door to vomit from nerves. <laughs> and he went outside and like vomited because I don't know if you remember, but we met up with Catatoni after that show. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know who was like taking them around, but um somebody with like relapse or, or somebody in our like kind of field yeah, uh, was like, hey, do you guys want to go back and hang out with Catatonia? And I just remember, like, you and I, and we we're like, well, I kind of, but these guys seem like they probably don't want to just fucking hang out with us, like, yeah, right, like, I don't want to be like a sycophant, like, I don't. Know, they just the vibe I got was like, it'd be cool to hang out with them, but also like, is that what Catatonia wants, or are you just? Like, I always kind of err on the side of eh, no, yeah, like it's one thing if like Vincent from Anathema like invites us back to the hotel, yeah, you know what I mean, like because we had a relationship with Vincent at that point because but of like if somebody tell like there's been hey, a lot of times where I've like no, I mean thanks for offering, but yeah, I don't like being put in that situation. I don't want to. It's like super awkward for me and for them because I feel like yeah, like, am I supposed to like like ask you questions or am I supposed to just stand there and smile at you? Like, what do you want me to do in that situation? Unless I have a reason to like be talking to you. you know yeah. I mean? Or if you're like, Oh yeah, we did an interview a couple years ago. I don't, yeah. you know, you might not remember, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like if you've got those kind of entry points, it's fine, but I don't need to go up and say, I don't know. I just don't, it, sure. it, it doesn't work for my personality. And so that, 
I remember getting home from that concert, and and the one thing I do remember is this: is I went and I remembered the entire set list. I you know didn't have the internet really then, not for that kind of shit. We used to write the shit down. Well, maybe. Like in, well, if in early Requiem days, we did would you have a notepad okay. and yeah. we would do show reviews? I kind of so remember it as like were. memory, and I basically burned it to a CD. And so I would like listen. I did that with my when I saw Death on the Sound of Perseverance tour. Mm-hmm. I made like a mixtape of like of that show to of that show to listen to in the car and shit. Yeah. And I became obsessed with End Time at that point. Like and it's and it quickly ascended to not only be my favorite Catatonia song, but when push comes to shove, it might be my favorite metal song of all time. It's the song that like is just my my go-to emotional well and I think it it all solidified in that moment. Yeah. And so I will always remember that live show even though sound quality wise it wasn't great. Um there was a lot there was it was short, it wasn't, you know, but it just worked, you know. Yeah. So I think that one stands out. I mean, Anathema doing the Pink Floyd cover like the next night, doing Comfortably Numb was that like was, fucking yeah. mind blowing. I just and, remember and being six six six, yeah, like, yeah. The well, Halloween six 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 in the Comfortably Numb, and it was like, I don't know. It was just like I, that was my sweet spot because those bands mean, especially Anathema and Catatonia. Um, you know, by then, uh, I think it's like the cat looking at wine in the background. Oh, okay, she's picking hey. a bottle. What are you doing, cat? <laughs> this is the extra stuff you get out yeah, of Patreon. This, this but also, those are bands we never thought we'd ever see. No, and I just they, these kind of mean so much. I wish I wish Paradise Lost had played at that show. Yeah, because like it was weird because I wasn't as into Paradise Lost because like a lot of the air had come out after Draconian in one second, at least from Chris. Mm-hmm. And like you were kind of talking up hosts a little bit, but like. You weren't like hard selling it that much. I'm never a hard sell guy. Yeah, exactly. That's not my thing. And so, like, it took me a while longer to like be get passionate for Paradise Lost the way I was right with it because I was growing up with Anathema and Catatonia. Yeah, yeah. And like Paradise and Lost, progressing kinda, as they, they kind of lost me because I didn't keep. I liked one second and I I owned everything up to that point, but then like I couldn't get host. You know what I mean? It was like import. Yeah, there's no US so it was distribution. Like, I just kind of. I was like into other shit, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and so I just kind of lo- lost the script with them a little bit, but I was able to like really kind of grow and, and maintain with them, you know, to some extent, Opeth, I mean, Opeth meant a fucking lot for me then. They don't mean as much to me now, but it's not because I don't like those records. It's just, I don't know. Opeth sort of, it's weird. I don't know like where, how to explain like how, cause I'm sure you feel that too. Cause I think you were as passionate about Opeth back in those days too, but like, we kind of grew away from that a little bit. There was there was always something. Um, I don't remember who said it. Um, what what journalist wrote it, or you know, but it was in some publication or something. But talking about how how Opeth is, they're they're great musicians, but they're they don't really have anything to say. Yeah, like um, when they do stuff, like the music can make me feel stuff, but the lyrics sure. are always kind of empty. For me, it just didn't do anything for me, and if, and obviously it does to other people because they're very yeah successful. But that was I had to have something that I need that I could latch on to. Do you still get nostalgic for like still life and morning rise and stuff Not like really. that? No, really. Uh-uh. I still I still get pretty nostalgic for those records. I actually prefer if I'm going to listen to stuff, I go back and listen to um, Orchid. No, no, the one of the later on ones with the uh, Axel Rot and. The one that has like the collage of all their faces on the oh, back of it. Uh, it's got like a tan cover. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think what the hell that's called. I know exactly. Watershed? No. Yeah, it's Watershed. I like Watershed a lot. It's a really that, good record. Because it's got yeah. a lot of, just it's just more developed like them at the top of their game and yeah. more keyboards and Moog and all that kind of shit in that. 
I sort of dig like the Martin and Martin combo, like in those early records, because he was like a really fucking phenomenal bass player too. So there was like yeah. all these like weird kind of things on Morning Rise that were were pretty cool. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I still am pretty fond. Opeth was a big band for me though too, because that was like the the band that justified death metal to me. Yeah. Yeah. Intellectually. It did a lot of people. Intellectually. Yeah. You know, like, I was like, ah. And it was one of those things where you could, it could be a prog band or liked by prog people and liked by death metal people and it wasn't Dream Theater and it wasn't yeah. whatever else. Sure. You know, it wasn't Joe Satriani or whatever that other garbage. Do you have a show that stands out to you, a concert oh, experience? God, I've seen a lot. If I had to go, like, my go-to right now would be probably the At the Gates reunion in New York. That was pretty amazing. That you couldn't hear. I almost died in the crowd from. Yeah. The heat, like I, oh, it was, I had to literally crawl my way out and go up to a balcony. That was our friend that was something from Taiwan, who's also a patron. He like, he's like, I can't breathe. I'm like, I'm ready to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, because we were waiting for um, who opened for him? Darkest the, hour, darkest hour. Because I was just like, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Like they're they're fine, but it's like these guys hadn't been for, together forever, and as yeah. soon as like you couldn't hear anything they said after like I don't know if they started with. Uh, it probably started with the, uh, I, Blind Jesus. by Fear, maybe, or it starts um, with Go. Is that the? I can't. I can't oh well, that's that that Slaughter of the Soul title track. I don't remember what yeah. what there was. All I could see is is Tampa fucking jumping up and down. Yeah. And you couldn't hear I everybody was, was screaming down. along, and that was just and it yeah. was so fucking hot. We took the we were pushed right back to the all the bars, and I remember yeah. getting up on a balcony. That's where I went for air at a yeah. certain point. So I was like, oh, well, I'll find these guys someplace. I don't I need ma- to. Yeah, I know. I made it for a while, and then it's I, like I can't do this. I want to see them. Yeah. Because I'd never that was the first time I ever saw them too. Oh, I, yeah, I so missed that would, be, off. that would be special for you. I'd yeah. seen them back in '96. So yeah, yeah, I didn't see that dissection tour unfortunately because that would have been. God, I wish I would seen that. I mean, it was cool to see them with Napalm Death, but man, yeah. I, I fucking missed dissection and yeah. Morbid. Was that Morbid? Were they a third band on that tour? Morbid Angel dissection at the gates. Was it? I, I think it was something stupid Jesus, like that. If that was it, that yeah, that's a real David Vincent era peak. <laughs> but that was one of those things. Like I didn't want to drive to Grand Rapids. Sure. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you don't you think these bands no. are going to be around forever? They're the, like the height of their power. I don't think you knew shit. John was going to prison. Like you know, no. there was just like a lot of uncertainties that you didn't know about at that point. But yeah. that was cool too because that, that was the decibel where we got to meet up with Albert and stuff at first. That was too, where right? we did our episode two part episode with Albert. Yeah, and he rode up to us with the we trained it together up to at the gates and went yeah. out and stuff. Yeah, it was cool. We went to a decibel headquarters and podcasted there. And yeah, it was just like a nice like reaffirming of like everything we loved about death yeah. metal. Like, oh, we get to see the behind the scenes at a magazine yeah, that we're talking about and, choosing death and, and shit like that. Yeah, it was yeah. it was very cool. No, that that I had like to speaking of reunion tours um or resurrection kind of tours. I think I felt that way about Carcass. Because, oh, that's my number two. The one the where we saw him with uh, fuck they played with Trypticon, yes, and Suicide Silence. Oh yes, uh, and people kind of didn't seem to give a shit about Carcass, and I was about peeing my pants. Oh, because I hadn't seen him since uh, I'd never seen him ninety four. I used to have dreams about like Carcass having reunions <laughs> back when we were in college. I remember when that Carcass um, DVD came out. Um, when we were in Wake college. Wake up and smell the carcass. Yeah. Comp. And, yeah. They were, and there was a bunch of like live footage of him. I remember like sitting, remember the apartment Brian and I had in the kind of basement apartment yeah. on Bennett yeah. street there. Yeah. And we were all like sitting around like watching stuff. Um, and I just remember being like, man, I would kill to see carcass live. <laughs> and I would just like have dreams that they would have this reunion. And then it was like, Oh shit, this is like happening. Yeah. yeah. It was cool. So yeah. No, since then I didn't, it was cool to see him with a mot too. Yeah. Uh, a mot. And then who was playing, well, was Amat at that show that we saw? 
I thought so. I thought him and um, yeah, because that was Earl Anderson was doing drums. That was before Ben joined. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Because this was just like a limited. It wasn't. Oh, they weren't yeah. recording this anything new. This, yeah, you're right. You're right. So and then when and, we uh, saw him again in Chicago with Ben, that was was that after Surgical Steel? I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was after. And then and then we saw him at Beer and Metal Fest. Beer, I saw them about five other times in between because they played the Off the Beaten Track Michigan tour where they played at uh, Pontiac. I think I, I went to one of those shows. But it was at school night. Yeah. Three or whatever. And I got to, that was the night where I got to do the, the poster for them as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For that. And then was did that a bunch one? of... The one? Uh, no, that no, was that, that was, was the, the one for the tour. And That's then, House of Blues, yeah. Um, yeah, I did another one for that just for that Pontiac show. Yeah. Uh, and then started doing merch for them for a couple years. And um, yeah, I, was, I drove down to Columbus twice to see him too. Oh, yeah, that's how he did. So I'd, I'd hang out with, with Ben for a little while. We'd you know have a couple beers, get something to eat, and then sure. go see the show. But yeah, I was bummed out because that night that we met Ben, he like had the flu, <laughs> so he was like really out of it in Chicago. Oh yeah, I met him at MDF first yeah. uh, a couple years pre. Like the it was the last time Bolt were played. Yeah, it was and it was fucking raining, and yeah. they were outside in a tent, and I couldn't you couldn't even get in and see him. Yeah, I was like fuck, I'm not gonna try to stand in water for two hours to not even see the band. Sure. So I went and hung out inside the merch area with him or something. Yeah. But. What a bummer. What a bummer. Yeah. Those are the, the current ones right now, but I mean, there's so many, I'm just thinking back at, I don't know how many shows I've seen in my life, but yeah. I mean, I think both of us probably have like a lot of different. Like, I mean that, that Slayer show we saw with the original lineup. Oh, the season of the Bist tour. Yeah. Yeah. That was special. Like that was, that was a big deal. That was way special. Um, I dug that. Sorry. I'm and fuck any time I see Maiden, really. Yeah. My first time seeing Maiden was with Blaze Bailey. So anytime I can see Bruce is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. So we have a question from Thomas Sosby. One of our uh, patrons. One of our patrons, yes. All uh, of these are our patrons. I these realize all, as yes. I say that. It's like a Patreon episodes. It's, uh, yeah. It's uh, one of the, the perks. Uh, saying he, he's been enjoying the Neurosis episode, but he had a question about... How do we, since we're on Spotify, how do we get away with playing full songs for copyright and such things? Um, he's working, he's going to be working on a project himself and was curious how we were able to do that. Um, to the best of my understanding, well, we don't, we put our stuff on Spotify. We're not, we don't get money from Spotify, but Spotify doesn't, as far as I know, doesn't put ads on our stuff. No, it's through an aggregate. So yeah. like they just feed our episodes out. But It's we're just not, like iTunes. We're not like. We don't have a contract with Spotify. Yeah, we've never, they've never, usually if you can monetize through Spotify, um, but we choose not to because we like to kind of do whatever we want, have our anonymity. But um, as far as I understand through fair use, it's okay that we do this. Yeah. Uh, we've never had anybody say anything to us about anything. 13 years, baby. Um, on wood. Even, even when we've had uh, like years and years ago, we did a, a funeral miss show. Yeah. And we were, we were digging the band anyways. And then the band, the uh, Anji offensive got a hold of us like, Hey, do you want copies of the stuff? Would you like to do a show? So that was kind of like a sponsorship deal. Yeah. Um, but it's something we would have done anyways. But I mean, yeah, there's no, after we did like witchery toxin reached out to me. Hank yeah. a from Dawn reached out to me. So like, I think it's different than if you're dealing with like, you know, if you're doing a throw a contemporary band out there, um, somebody big that you're going to be in an episode about, I don't think there's the mindset of, um, you know, this stuff was fanzine like that. There was no magazine that would talk about it. Yeah. So I feel we're kind of like the next kind of like uh, iteration of that. Um, 
and Jason being an educator, we're this is like commentary. Yeah, that's um, all we're doing. So a lot of this falls under fair use, as okay. far as I understand. If anybody knows legalities otherwise, let us know. But I mean, I've asked lawyer friends of mine, and, and they've never really given me like a firm answer one way or the other. I don't think there is with, with a, something like this. If we were, say, if we were a commercial entity, um, and we were doing a show like this, and we had we had sponsors, and we played full songs of a band, we would probably have to get uh, some kind of clearance from the label or from the the band themselves. But yeah. Um, yeah, for what we were doing, we don't we get uh, you know a little bit through Patreon, but that just kind of sustains us. Sure, it's not like uh, it's not a living. <laughs> we're yeah, we're not like a, an LLC and you know pulling down a ton of cash on this or anything. Yeah. This is all a kind of a labor of love, and whatever we get extra goes back into buying books and paying yeah. for infrastructure and stuff like that. But uh, depending on yeah what you're what you're going to do and what the big thing is where you're going to host it, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. If you're going to post it. To some place that is free, usually there's some criteria you need to look through and see like what their terms of service like are. Like we and, can't, I, I'm pretty sure we couldn't put these episodes up on YouTube. They would take them down. No, I've put up one. Yeah. I put up the Sirth Ungul episode, which is still there. Really? Um, but it was also like liked by um, uh, Robert Garvin, the drummer. So I think if the band requests <laughs> to get it taken down, it can get taken down. Yeah. So we, we could do it, but it'd be like Russian roulette. Some episodes would make it. I, I got uh, algorithm hits on that as well for... Um, the Merciful Fate, like, minute and a half video promo that I was doing for the book back in yeah. the day. Um, and I got a hit on that. And then I just got a, I put a different version of the song up. And then I chopped it up into pieces and put effects on it. Hmm. So it's just, most of that, like, for YouTube is, I wouldn't even mess with it. Yeah. YouTube kind of stick with you, do, like, your 30-second clips or um, whatever extra stuff you might want to do. They're a whole other animal. Cause I, mean, I know like the Las in Vegas guys, when they do their like commentary videos and stuff, they have to like, they pause the song a lot. Yeah. I think that's why they do it. Yeah, like, you know, like the, like the, you know, jazz drummer reacts to yeah. Meshuggah. Like you're, you're doing commentary on the thing. It's not playing a full song. It's entirety. Yeah. I think a lot of it is that, um, like those types of things might be easier to clip if it's just one song you're putting on YouTube. But if anybody wanted to clip a song that we're playing, at a low bit rate, it's not worth the, the trouble. Yeah. Either. Like, just go on, you can just go to YouTube and find them anyway, somehow. Yeah. Spotify, um, or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, we don't, we don't try to look into it too much. Yeah. Because no. we don't want to get zung by anybody. But yeah, because if anything happened where it, they came back and like, well, you've got to remove this entire series, then we just have to go underground and like, <laughs> I don't know, start sending out uh, thumb drives or something, something to people. weird. Yeah. That's luckily. I- Again, the point I made to Mark is that we generally aren't going to talk about stuff unless we like kind of have like an inkling of interest in it. So yeah, we're never like getting on here to like bash records. You know, we might in the course of doing the discography of a band talk about how one band's record is better than maybe another, or this was a low point for the band. But we're not going to shit on a band for two hours. No, it's not worth our time. It's not. Yeah, it's not something I'm interested in doing. No, I'd rather be positive and you know I want to learn stuff about shit I'm interested in or. Shit that I don't know about that I want to know about potentially or that like, you know, like when Mark and I kind of push each other to do episodes that are out of our comfort zone, it's like, it's like homework, you know, that's kind of mm-hmm. how we, we sort of look at it. But yeah, yeah, we've never suggested anything to each other. We're just like, oh God. Yeah. Hey, you want to shit on Limp Biscuit for two hours? Like, I don't, mm. I, don't, I, don't I got better things to do with my time. <laughs> like yeah. other people can do that probably way more creative and I, I don't Yeah, care. I'd rather hear people that love, uh, speaking of, uh, <laughs> A friend of ours, uh, uh, Jenny, who does, uh, fuck, what the hell is it called? 
her the new metal podcast. Oh, yeah, Roach yeah, Coach. Yeah. Roach Coach. Yeah. If you want deep dives into more new metal records than you realize existed, yeah, uh, you can find that on iTunes. But I'd rather hear people talk about stuff that they love, even if it's stuff I don't like. Sure, it gives me a different you know, insight into it. Yeah. Um, or at least like just people... deep analysis. You know, you don't have yeah. to like, we're not going to like everything that we always talk about, but we generally are interested in talking about it. Yeah. You know, I'm not interested in talking about Limp Bizkit, you know? No, um, no. I mean, yeah, even like a drunk conversation with somebody, I'm not interested in no. wasting my time on Limp Bizkit, yeah. but. Yeah. Oh, you like metal? You're in the Limp There used to be a conversation we had at the record store when people would come in. God, luckily that's nobody ever, I try to steer conversations in different ways because I don't want to, if somebody's like, oh, so I hear you like heavy metal. Yeah. Yeah. I get a lot of like, so like, have you ever heard of Rammstein? And I'm like, yeah. Most of the time it's like a confrontational <laughs> shit. Like I was wearing a King Diamond sweatshirt uh, in public and this guy's like, uh, hey, I haven't seen one of those in a while. I was like, hey, it's a lucky day. Yeah. And he just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what, what am I, what am yeah, I supposed to say? Yeah. What is he? What, what? Yeah, when you come at me with like that, it's not like you're. And he wasn't saying it like in a cool, like, "Oh man, I haven't seen one of those in a while." Yeah. It's like, "Oh, I haven't seen one of those like, in a while." I'm judging you right now. Yeah, yeah. Right, you little twerp. And so, um, yeah, so hopefully, Tom, uh, that that answers your question. Um, and so, our last question for this set is from another patron, uh, Andrew Daly, um, and he's talking about um, Dillinger Escape Plan, I think, of some sort. He sent, I think, he sent two questions, right? But the we're just oh yeah, yeah, uh, another. Um, person who very much enjoyed the neurosis series which yep. uh we appreciate that because we put a hell of a lot of work into it yeah, we and, um we probably won't be doing anything that in depth for a while but no. that'll be like maybe once a year we'll yeah <laughs> try to do something we've got some pretty good ambitious stuff coming up yeah too, i think we not got quite to that interesting ideas not that length no no um but yeah he's curious uh if we've ever considered doing a dillinger escape plan retrospective from their humbled basement shows to then supporting nine inch nails and Soundgarden, uh and then his other was a very similar, or was actually talking about just doing calculating infinity as well. Uh, so let me kind of touch on Jess's question from before um, because it ties into Dillinger. Because if I, you know, I don't know if I would quote unquote put it as one of my favorite concert uh, memories, but it's certainly one of the more interesting concert memories I've ever had was seeing Dillinger Escape Plan for the very first time and, um, you know, kind of quote-unquote a basement show that, that Andrew's yeah. kind of referring to. And it was at the uh, the Grindcore bar with Grindcore Coon um, when Relapse was playing, like, a bunch of their bands, I think Mortician, Nozum, Benumb. It was uh, Milwaukee Metal Fest, wasn't it? Yeah, and yeah, it was, like, the like, Grindcore stage that Relapse was sort of sponsoring. And we were just sitting there, I think I've talked about before, like eating, like, Mika was just drinking, like, Bloody Marys and, like, eating, like, mass amounts of pickles. So we were eating pickles <laughs> with Mika from Impaled Nazarene. And um, anyways, we were just sort of, like, sitting there at the bar, like, watching bands and stuff. And, I, like, I remember kind of – Chris had always sort of been negative on Grindcore, especially the Relapse Grindcore. And so I was pretty close-minded to a lot of stuff. But I remember being really impressed with, like, Nazem and being like, mm -hmm. oh, like, I – I think I could like get into this. This is not what I thought Grindcore was. And again, yeah. Chris and Grindcore, I, I kind of get it. It's very much out of his wheelhouse in terms of like his aesthetics. He, a yeah, I appreciated bit. the more the you know the the early stuff. Yeah, like terrorizer and, and stuff. And yeah, truth at, and at stuff. a certain point, I think he saw it as one to sure. find something different. Which, yeah, which again, he was expanding into a lot of other different things at the time. Um, but anyways, uh, like up next after Nazem was Dillinger Skate Plan, and out came these like four dudes that looked like skateboarders wearing like red t-shirts and all had short hair, and I was just like, 
Mm-hmm. Who are who are these assholes? <laughs> and uh, and it was utterly incredible. Like Dimitri was throwing chairs into the crowd. Like it was like fearful for my life. And I was sitting at a bar. I wasn't even in like the pit or anything like that. And that sort of like struck up a that that really it touched a nerve. And I remember going right from there. Um, I remember picking up that. EP, um, the Under the Running Board EP, mm-hmm. and I was working at the record stores before you were working there, and I was working with Evie, um, and Evie's a good friend of both of ours, graduated with Mark uh, the year after you, I think. Before. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's she graduated with Andy. Yeah, yeah, she graduated with yeah. Andy. Um, and um, you're actually doing work for her work, or you have done some work for her, didn't you? For some her for yeah. vet clinic and stuff like that? Yeah. 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 Um, but anyways, so you know, she was the the resident like punk rocker at our record Fugazi store. Person. Yeah, well, uh, that was more Scott Dealman. He was more the Discord guy. She she liked Fugazi, but she was also into like punk and hardcore and, and things like that. And I remember I put on Under the Running Board, and she was like, "The fuck is this?" She like she loved it, and I was like, "Well, it's on Relapse," and she's like, "Relapse, like that's like metal." Like, and it was like that moment where. Our worlds were both about to like merge and, you know, eventually we both turned each other on to like converge and cave in together and, and, you know, like those kind of crossover sort of bands. It was yeah. like the, it was like being in the mid eighties again with like punk and metal kids, like finding like that. That we, we can be friends and we don't have to antagonize each other. And so I was pretty pumped for Calculating Infinity when it came out. Um, I was really anticipating it. I reviewed it for Eclipse. Um, I interviewed uh, Dillinger, were you at that show when I interviewed them or was that? No, I never Brian? saw them. That must've been Brian. I mean, I saw them, um. Oh God! The uh, what the hell was the contaminated festival? Oh, out it. Uh, they played. Uh, it was in in Philly. Yeah. With, uh, it was Neurosis doing something never set set, and uh, it was when Greg was in the band for the, as a singer. So it was after Dimitri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never saw any of the Dimitri stuff. Yeah. So it was, that was probably like Miss Machine and some of that era, because um, Miss Machine was like their the first Greg record, and that was pretty big. Yeah, um, that, was, that was like two thousand four. I think that was right when I moved down here. That was still on relapse, though, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. they were on relapse for a little while longer. Um, okay. And so, anyways, Calculating Infinity, yeah. I, You know, if Mark's ever down to do it, like, I could easily put together a Dillinger discography. I, I followed them right up to the end uh, until they broke up, and I even have gotten into the Black Queen, which is Greg's kind of new, kind of electronic, uh, goth wave kind of band that he does that I, I think is really cool. But, yeah, Calculating Infinity, like, blew my mind. Um, I, I didn't really... I don't know if I'd ever heard a record quite like that. Um, I'd heard grindcore. I'd heard death metal. See, that's that's like the... I don't know what you're... Yeah. I think that's like the last... Uh, the the whole... I have a, a troubled relationship with the, the quote-unquote hardcore that came out in the well, early 2000s. Is that the... Late 90s. Late 90s, early, early 2000s. 2000s. Yeah. I still don't understand the relationship to hardcore punk. It doesn't sound anything yeah. outside of the the DIY and the, the aesthetic I think it's of that. the people. I think it's that. I think it's as much as like Neurosis was part of that scene at a certain yeah. point. But, but Neurosis doesn't sound anything like it. Yeah, I can't think of another um, like subgenre that has co-opted another subgenre that doesn't sound like it. I, you know, say what you because want. Because if you say hardcore, I think of 80s hardcore. Like Agnostic Front and, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. The Negative Approach and like the Necros and that kind of shit. Like yeah. really, early hardcore punk. Um, so that is, I was always kind of lost on, on me yeah. on that stuff. But I think like Dillinger and I think Cave In and Converge. Coalesce. Keel Hall, Coalesce. Yeah. Uh, I, I like some of their stuff, some not as much, but 
those still kind of stand the test of time. Yeah. Everything else I, I see is kind of just derivative. A lot I of mean, the other stuff. I, I would throw like botch into there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Drowning man. Like there are a couple of the early ones. Um, there, I mean, I, I think there's a few, there's like a, there's like a list, you know, yeah, but, yeah. but I think a lot of it did not stand the, the test of time, but you know, it became I, like a fashion statement yeah. at a certain point, And then it got it. Yeah. It just got to the point where the music didn't matter. I think early on the music is all that mattered. But I think like Dillinger, kind of like Caven, they were in that and then they were out. They were like, yeah, yeah. they very quickly like tread their own path. And I, I almost think like Calculate Infinity is one of those records that had a lot more influence than people probably think about today, mm-hmm. you know, just in terms of like the influence it had on progressive metal stuff, the, the influence it had on like so-called math rock. Um, it showed people what you could do because nobody sounded like it. It was sort of like an aggressive Slint Spiderland, like a decade yeah. later. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it did like Slint Spiderland connected the dots for a lot of people. And I think Calculate Infinity, like, like that was an album that like could simultaneously get like people like you and I, and even Chris, I think really liked that record into that style of music, but it could also pull in like the EVs and like punk people. Mm-hmm. And so we could all like meet in the same place and um, and be impressed by the aggression, by the musicianship, by the like the really creative songwriting too. And you'll hear that in these two songs, "Destro Secret" and "The Running Board." Um, both are just like I don't know. They're just there's something about like that early Calculate Infinity Dillinger that just sounded dangerous. It was visceral, and they were dangerous. Yeah, it was it was dangerous, but. You know, and then very quickly they got Greg and they had a vocalist that had these like incredible vocal harmonies and things like that too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like they were able to like do it, like open their toolbox. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I was into everything they did after that. Some albums more than others, but. Um, what was the last one before there was their final record? Do you boy, it has a blue cover. Um, uh, I think Miss Machine is the last one I really paid a whole lot of attention the to. The one right after that might be my favorite of theirs um that has like the strongest for me like oh man both of actually both of those records so like ear ear ironworks in 2007 oh i had that one too yeah that had a song out called dead is history which like is still one of my like favorite is that the weird collage cover no that was the uh, this cover it had the kind of weird triangle and stuff okay. like that um and it also had like sick on sunday where they were like actually playing with like i think that's electronics when they, they started like putting that. out their own under their own like sub label and they license it to labels to put out. I think. Yeah, perhaps that was not, still on relapse, uh, okay. two thousand seven, and then it's like the, party something music. Uh, da, da, da. the one party crasher music maybe. Oh, was their sub label? I think it was their like publishing or like Got their it. own thing that they started putting shit out through. The one after that was maybe the one I listened to the most just because like the time it came out, and actually that was right when you first were living with me, so you probably heard me playing it a lot. That was Option Paralysis. Okay, yeah, I had had Good Neighbor, Farewell Mona Lisa, Widower, um, Parasitic Twins. They actually had some, like, beautiful songs I could put on mixes for, like, non-metal people. And they could, Mm -hmm. like, kind of get into it. And that's where, like, Greg kind of came into his own. Um, I didn't get as into One of Us as The Killer. I think I'm sure if I went back and tried to get into it a little bit more now. But their their last record was Disassociation in 2016. And it had, like, a kind of a, it's like, blue crystal kind of. Yeah, the last two I didn't I didn't listen to. Yeah, at all. and they they weren't yeah party smasher. You're right. Okay. Um, yeah, just I didn't get into those as much, but I found some tracks that I sort of dug. But man, that that stretch was they were just a band that you know. And again, I got to interview Ben, so I had that kind of connection, and I, I really kind of dug them quite a bit. So 
Um, sad to see him go, but I think they left a pretty pretty strong legacy. Yeah. Know? So yeah. Um, cool. So let's get into it. We got uh, Entombed uh, from Morningstar. We got Bringer of Light. And we got Destro's Secret and the Running Board from Calculating Infinity from Dillinger Escape Plan. Travels 
That was The Running Board, Destro Secret, and then we had Bringer of Light from Entombed. So, um, how, what, you, what you drinking? Uh, yeah. Milk stout. It's yeah. tasty. It's just not yeah. anything like the is it kind of powerful? portion what, I was drinking what, before. What, uh, what, what flavor is it? This is the Imperial Milk Stout. It's brewed with milk sugars, cocoa is, nibs. Is this the Imperial one then? It must be. Because it came, came in a, like a 12-pack variety layer. pack. What's that? The triple layer. Oh, shit. Maybe it's like strong. Triple layer decadence. Oh. Ooh, okay. Yeah. It's, good. it's like a nice Rochester Mills uh, Brewery. They do a 12 days of, of stout every year and they do the, like different flavors like it's good yeah they do some pretty exorbitant flavors though like bl- like red velvet cake and just like weird shit but it's like i saw one of those in there it's like one beer you just try it and you go okay yeah <laughs> i like red velvet cake but i don't know if i want to drink <laughs> yeah, it it's, it's sometimes it's too much they did like a banana bread one i was like banana beer no it wasn't for me yeah so, orange the, nah, yeah. the beer industry is uh yeah well <laughs> i mean i like my fruity several shit. times don't get me yeah. wrong don't get me wrong but i i have my limits too so we've got our next question is going to open up, I think, a, a, a torrent of conversation. I, I have a feeling it could dominate for, uh, for a potential few floodgate. Um, this comes from one of our oldest patrons. I think he was there at the very kind of initial beginning. So Mark's uh, Douglas got uh, Douglas McGee, a senior lecturer in economics in Cornell University. He's our maybe our highest educated patron, perhaps. Uh, who, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, but so, yeah, we appreciate certainly your, the one that sounds the most like your patronage. And important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When I think I've told my dad once that, oh yeah, we got guys that look, yeah, man, Come on. go to Cornell yeah. and stuff. It's cool. <laughs> uh, love the idea of a Q and A episode. Never heard you guys talk much about goth metal. My guess is that you hate it. That's potentially appropriate. Um, but you're uh, totally missing out on some really good music. Check out Lacuna Coil's latest Black Anima uh, intro track is pretty bad, but the next two tracks are amazing. Uh, even like early theater of or not even I. Inserted early there myself. Oh, I even like Theater of Tragedy, uh, though it's more of an acquired Freudian taste. <laughs> yes, uh, he's a, a was it a Hamlet for a slothful vassal? Yeah. Uh, and if you get Patreon episodes, regular podcast feed, much appreciated. That we will be doing that this year. I guarantee that. I don't know when though. What's that? Getting the Patreon episodes in its own feed. Yeah, yeah. Well, we created you. You did it last time where they could do like a download. Direct downloads, yeah, because download. I didn't realize people could even listen to... I don't have the Patreon app on my phone. Got it. And I guess you can listen to content through that or something, too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I try to do all those now as the download link, because nobody wants to have a web browser open and that's, while you're listening That's kind of how I have to listen to them and stuff. So, yeah, if we... We've... I found one thing to click so I could do that. Okay. So, that's... so you think there's a way to get to where we want to get to, where it's like a separate feed that people are subscribed to automatically? Uh, we'll probably Patreon? have to pay for it. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to get a service. Give us some more patron money. I'd like to get a service where we Although, could just do the it all people are one donating. Thing. We need the other people aren't donating. So yes. Tell your friends and neighbors this is a weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so Goth Model. So we, I think we, we've we've it's come up on like some kind of broad conversations. I think from time to time, I, yeah. I distinctly remember having conversations about like would theater tragedy still hold up today? And um, you know, Mark's shaking his head no. Uh, you know, I, I'm. A, I don't know if I'm. I think I'm more hopeful, and uh, I don't know. What well, the word there, is. let's let's frame the the question with what, what is goth? what do you consider goth yeah. metal? And when because I grew up in an era where because um, I've dated people in the past that have said, oh yeah, like like goth, like Marilyn Manson. It's like mm. which is to some people goth. I assume, I mean? but I'm more of a purist. Is like no, I'm I'm thinking of like you know Susie and the Banshees, the stuff from the 80s, Cure, the Cure, and Vision, yeah. all that kind of stuff that has more of that 
has a specific more. It's like black metal. It's got an atmosphere. It's not necessarily a one, two, three, like a checklist of certain things it has to hit. Yeah. Um, it's like a feeling more yeah. than like a sound. Yeah. And I really like, I like uh, Gothic rock and all the stuff, you know, the, the post post punk stuff in the, from the eighties. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to goth metal, I love the kind of the godfather, of the genre of Paris lost. Yeah. But, yeah, you may have heard that we're pretty big fans of Paradise Lost <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> but after, after Paradise Lost and Bride and uh, you know Anathema, like these bands, kind of that were drawing on it. Yeah, they're drawing yeah. on those kind of same vibes, but they didn't. They weren't quite so prescriptive with it. It's it's almost the same phenomenon that happened with black metal. Mm-hmm. Is that symphonic black metal came in? and That was all black metal was for a couple years. A couple yeah. years, and, and some of the early symphonic stuff is interesting, but then it became like too much. Yeah, you know, it was too pompous, too kind of like the early like Burzum Satyricon, where you'd have a like minor, like a little bit of keyboard yeah. stuff. Emperor sure. um, was interesting, even but like then, early demo stuff. I don't mind. Yeah, you know, but it just got it got too much. It got to the point where it kind of dwarfed the actual black metal part of yeah. it, and I, it just doesn't do a lot for me. So the goth thing, I love all that kind of music, but I don't necessarily like it mixed too much with my metal how would you think like that like mid to late 90s kind of century media stuff that was sort of happening with like you know Moonspell and and you know the direction to kind of tiamat start to absorb um you know even a more maybe not amorphous like gathering had some aspects of it like mm-hmm. like some of that stuff i think you're okay with but it's yeah. to me it's like you have this very well it's where they this come out and fine say line almost you like know? we're a goth we're a, we're a goth goth metal band it's yeah it's like like it uh, I can't. I don't even know specific bands per se, but where it's usually an operatic female vocalist. Yeah, I think you're within Temptations, your Lacuna Coils, you're those yeah, those kind of bands. And um, that doesn't do much. But I but I like when Tiamat went from from doing like you know Floydian yeah hard rock when they did the turned on deeper kind uh, of slumber. Deeper kind of slumber. Yeah. I love that because sure. he's basically going back and like trying to sound like you know like the Damned or the Sisters or the you know. Uh, fields and Nephilim, Phil, Fields and the hell was the other one? I always Lords of the New Church, oh, shit like that. Like, yeah. there's so much of that stuff, and there's so many different like degrees of the God, like the cult. Like, yeah, yeah. The cult's early discography is fantastic. Yeah, even uh, the first U2 record. Yeah, I love it. Love <laughs> so, it. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like uh, it has those gothic tinges to For it. For sure. Um, yeah. So I like when you can incorporate that stuff together, but when it's I think it's when you market yourself as a goth band. It's like you're 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 like less interesting to me in a sense because you're like you're already taking on everything. an identity. It's almost like a marketing tool to me. And like again, I think I I I have a little bit more tolerance for some of that era than than probably Mark does. Um, I don't know if it's because of like living with Chris or or like Chris was sort of my gateway into that stuff. And I think well, you, he, you like to turn people onto stuff too. Yeah, and I'm I'm more of like if somebody overhears it, I'll tell them about it, or if they ask me, like yeah, like it's just the coil, personality I difference. Get girls into and I can yeah. get girls into like theater tragedy, Agus. You know, I yeah. don't think they give a shit about like the first couple theater tragedies, which I I like those. Those are okay. Mm-hmm. They have a, a couple songs here and there, but if you ask me, do I put that stuff on? Like today, I listen to Lacuna Coil. Strangely enough, without knowing this question was actually arriving, because a friend of mine who I teach with. Like sent me some like article out of the blue. He always does this. Sounds kind of like random articles, and it was some like interview with like Amy Lee from Evanescence. And I didn't like respond back because I was like, "Why did he send this to me?" <laughs> it's like five days later. He's like, "What's the deal? You never responded to like? Do you have like beef with Evanescence?" And I just kind of responded. I was like, 
I don't really up. care. Yeah. Doesn't like I got my mom into Evanescence because whatever. But also that's because my mom liked the gathering, so I could like gateway her into that. And they're they're fine. They're, yeah, they're, I wouldn't call whatever. them goth. No, but like to me, like they were doing things that I just thought Lacuna Coil and the Gathering did better. So like, why yep. would I like spend any time like listening to Evanescence when I could just if I if I really need it to scratch that itch, like I had like three other bands that could do it more for me. Yeah, and then they threw in a little bit of that rap too. Yeah, which that's not going to get me. Um, <laughs> no, you know, but like. I don't know. I I don't mind some aspects of Lacuna Coil. I I mean, you and I both agreed on this. I mean, Christina is like a force of nature. She's like an incredible like yeah, artist. I, like she, I think she should do her own thing. Yeah. Just, I think she's too good for the band. To I, be I think I, I I almost don't disagree with you when you said that. I was like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, my favorite Lacuna Coil song, maybe of all time, is is Stars, and it's a cover song, and it's her singing without male vocals. And yeah. I almost don't like. I think maybe your issue is maybe more the Beauty and the Beast kind of aspect a little. I, I find it really tiresome. It, I don't. Th- I think it's unnecessary. Yeah. Um, when you've got somebody that can sing as, as good as Christina does, and then you've got this guy going, and the background sounds stupid. Yeah. Um, Paradise Lost, you know, you've got a couple songs on Gothic that have female vocals, but it's like an accent. Yes. It's not the full... When it's all the time, it's too much. It's too, it's it's like... It's a every once in a while kind of thing. You know, Goth yeah. is... is uh, it's like it's like romantic comedies. Like every once in a while for me, but not. It's not my go-to thing. Um, you can have really good romantic comedies though that that go all across. I just saw one that was. That's not great, but I've got the HBO where you can stream live stuff. Yeah. There was something with Lake Bell and uh, Simon Pegg in it. Okay. I saw like the last half hour. I was like, that's kind of cute. Yeah, I, mean, I guess I watched Forgetting Sarah Marshall last night. That's more yeah. of like an action disaster event, uh, romantic comedy, sure. inappropriate comedy, but. But no, it's like. But like Goth is so, it's such a narrow thing. I can't think of a handful of bands that I actually enjoy. Yeah. Um, that are gothic metal. Yes. Per se. Yes. I mean, like, we're going to kind of talk, we're going to play in a second, like, uh, My Dying Bride from 34%, you know, and that that band, like Paradise Lost and Anathema, the, the peaceful three, so, the so called peaceful three, they were tapping in and, like, bringing gothic elements. Like, I like when a band brings gothic elements into, like, their own sound. Yeah. But they don't like envelop themselves in like goth metal sound. Like, yeah, it's like, like to like me, they're like would, would pull on some like the the jangly yeah. guitar Scarlet stuff Evans and, and stuff yeah. like that. Like where they would bring in like these, yeah. But where where like if you say like, maybe I'm just disappointed okay. because they're not being goth enough. Yeah, they're they're not being like none of it really seems that like that sad or morose either, which really kind of like gets at me a little bit. Yeah. Like I want to like slip my wrists. I want of. it to be fuck. I want to feel like what they're feeling. Yeah. For it. Like I want that early joy division kind of stuff. Or um, like the, you know, like sisters of mercy always has this just like benevolence, like matter of factness to it that I, yeah. even when they got real pompous and had like the, like saxophones and like uh, R and B backing vocals. I love all that shit. Cause it all kind of goes toward the same. It yeah. all makes sense. Interesting. But the, yeah, maybe we just need to have like, Hey, here's a couple of the bands. Yeah. Like what we consider to be this this genre, but I just don't. It just doesn't do a lot for me. Well, and we picked out kind of a buffet of three distinct kind of approaches to sort of goth here, and um, we got My Dying Bride thirty four percent. How would you? That record is kind of famously underwhelming to some people, but like famously I, maligned. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, but that that album, you, you thought it'd be kind of a interesting idea to grab from that, and I, just, I, I yeah. do too. I like that record a lot. But I, I like how experimental it was yeah. and it has like there's there's like touches of like 4ad and um you know some of that early post-punk stuff thrown there as well also but also with like uh 
a very British, like, uh, lyrical kind yeah. of, uh, sensibility. Um, it's, I think it's probably the most f- outreaching they've ever been on a record. Yeah. The weirdest oh, sure. chances. Sure. But there's also a lot of, like, really, you know, like, pillars of who they are in that. It's just, like, enveloped in this new rapper. So, like, the way, if I'm hearing you right, and I, I agree with you, but, like, the way that, like, Bride and Paradise Lost and stuff would, like, incorporate goth, but still, like, maintain, like, a doom element was, that's, like, the sweet spot, right? For me, yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, like, and, I and they, like, keep their singular sound, but, like, goth works so well with Paradise Lost is because they're always dour yeah. and miserable. And that makes sense because that kind of music, like, evokes those feelings. Sure, without a so doubt. That, so that makes a lot of sense. But when when you're kind of, like, orchestrated in, for lack of a better term, like, upbeat, yeah. it just doesn't, there's a disconnect there for me. Well, and, like, then you go from that style to, like, to me, I think the band that personified it and did it probably the most is is probably maybe, like, a typo negative. But I, I think you could throw Cradle of Filth into to that category a little bit. They sort of have well, they, they come, some elements. They just go back further in the Gothic. Yeah, they're going to, back to Gothic like literature. and yeah, yeah, exactly. Which which I'm, I'm totally fine with that. And I think typo might sum up, if you're going to say goth metal, that's probably the best band. Yes. Yeah, I where, agree. Where they, that's all they are, but they, that's... But they like relish in it. It's like they, it's not. It's not like a limitation for them. It's like a playground. Sure. Yeah. They they play in the corners, and I think. But they have a sense of humor about it. It's I also think like does too. They do at times. You know. And but like when you think of like theater tragedy or yeah, it seems like they're taking within temptation. Seriously. It just they, doesn't. Yeah, they really. I think maybe that's my issue is, and it's my issue with a lot of power metal is, like Primal Fear definitely doesn't take itself seriously. No, and it's fun and whatever. And yeah. And you know what? Blind Guardian threads the needle, and maybe even early Halloween. There are some bands that do it for me with power metal, where they they're able to like they're very passionate, they're very serious about what they're doing, but like I'm still having fun, and like yeah. it's all working. But it's it's Guardian harder. has fun too. Yeah, what's well, that? Guardian has fun. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah like there's the, they're like to me they're threading the needle. You know yeah, what I mean like there's a band, there's few exceptions, and I think you know Cradle, Typo Negative, they're they're sort of threading the needle through like all of what you could kind of consider the pomposity of goth, but like, mm-hmm. I, cause I it is, like it's it. a super pompous yeah. genre. Like the damned, uh, phantasmagoria, the, the opening track, it sounds like, but if people haven't listened to that one, it's not, there's not really any punk yeah, left in that at, at all. And he's kind of, um, fucking space. It's on, mostly Dave. On, singing. Uh, what's the, what's his last name? Uh, I, I should, rem- Dave, I should rem- uh, uh, Vanian? Vanian. Vanian. Yeah. Vanian. Like, yep. that's kind of like quintessential goth vocals right there. They're, they're almost like uh, the dude from uh, Unto Others previously. Yeah. Uh, man, my brain was working real good remembering all these things. Uh, Unto Others, they used to be in. Uh, Idle Hands. Idle Hands, yep. Like, that, when I heard Phantasmagoria again, I was like, wow, he really likes Dave Vanian. Yeah. In a great way. Yeah, sure. Um, I just lost my train of thought now trying to think of No, we were kind of just talking about like the pomposity and Yeah, and, that's and a super that pompous sort of record with like saxophones and like all this build and it almost sounds like a the opening track sounds like a James Bond theme. Yeah, which I and, love like that the great a greatest way yeah. like uh, I love that's why I love like Portishead records cuz they sound like Bond albums sometimes yeah. like, especially a self-titled Portishead but There's a certain thing that British people uh do pompous better than anybody else. Yeah. Yep. And speaking of British, we got another <laughs> British band, uh, and that we're going to play something from Cradle of Filth, and I believe it might be the first Cradle of Filth uh, song that we've ever played in Requiem. I don't know. There might be something that showed up on like a compilation episode that we did one time, but 
This is appropriately titled The Gothic Romance, Red Roses for the Devil's Whore, and it's from Dusk and Her Embrace. And um, I picked that song. Um, I don't. We picked Stance of Evander Sync because it's just a cool – it's got, like, cool transitions in it that, like yeah. – that that part where it sort of changes and that like kind of angular riff and then the pinch harmonics kind of come in. Gothic Romance has all the fucking cradle filth accoutrements, you know. It's yeah, um, it's got it all. It's got a sweet like thrash breakdown at like the four fifty mark uh, that I think is like really cool. Where it's just unintelligent. Like I mean, he's just like going for it. This, you know? this has a goth checklist on it. Yes, in a good way. This yeah. is this is it. And then we end with a song I can defend, but again, I think it's a band that Mark and I would probably disagree with, and I'm totally okay with that. It's not like a band I'm going to go to bat for, which is Lacuna Coil. And um, like we were kind of mentioning before, I think there are elements that Mark likes about them, and I think this song features like great hooks from from Christina. Uh, for me, my favorite record of theirs is Unleashed Memories from 2001, I think, 2000, somewhere in like the you know 20 years ago. Um, and by the way, Doug, we did listen to some stuff from Black Anima. And, you know, I think one of my issues that some of the songs that we listened to is uh, the guitars were very, like, like modern in flames. And uh, was that was like some a, of the aspects I was kind of getting from it. was, like, it. super detuned and the drumming is all that Like, where the drums and the guitar in unison and locked. Like, so it wasn't like the elements that bothered me. It was, like, almost the... The rest of it, you know, in a certain yeah. sense, you know. Yeah, I, I liked some of the vocal stuff she was doing, but I didn't like. Was that yeah, the she one even the, did like the, the, the Amos cool thing? Tori Amos, like, yeah, you know, really like kind of like I wish people would push themselves thing. a little further than just being like, okay, it's the just, same sort of like, yeah, her kind of go to kind of stuff, yeah. you know. Yeah, so so again, we we tested it out. We gave it a little test drive, the Black Anima thing, um, but you know, it's not something I hate. I, I'm not like objectively like against, you know. All the goth stuff. Um, like I said, I still own the first like three Lacuna Coils. So like I, and I own the first couple of theater tragedies. I don't pull them out very much. It's just more like I own them, so I'm not going to get rid of them, kind of thing. Like yeah. they represent a certain era, but yeah, I wouldn't say I don't hate it, but it just it does. It's not like my. Go- I don't really get a whole lot of joy out of. Yeah, I that think it'd stuff. be hard to pull off those bands for like an episode. We could talk about them in a little set right here, and, and sure. kind of like mention sure. some things, but. I mean, I could do like a cradle show. I could do a typo show. I have enough to say, and there's enough of a like. I just don't have enough to say about Lacuna Coil. I don't have like a lot of passion one way or the other. Um, that, that's kind of how I feel about a lot of those bands. Yeah, and I mean, I can't. It's, I, it's I, just because we didn't grow up like that wasn't like your entry point. If that's your entry point band, yeah, maybe yeah. you're getting something like I had outside students of it. that were really into like it was the same students that were getting into like fourth album Bodum and stuff. They were really into um like Coma Lies from was Lacuna like, Coil. Hate crew death yeah, roll or they, something okay. like it was. There was a whole generation oh, of kids that I sort that. of taught that like were really into that. They they got into that Lacuna Coil, um, Comalize, I believe it was like two thousand three, two thousand four, and that had yeah. Heaven Is a Lie, which is like actually a really cool song. It's like a good hit single kind of mm-hmm. song for them, you know. Um, again, I so I, I you know I would disagree, Doug. I don't think we hate goth metal. I just don't think it's something that we've felt the past. Like I think one thing as I think most of our patrons like understand this. Like if Mark and I are going to do an episode on it, we've got to have like a hook. There's Mm got to be something, you know, even like the episode where I tortured Mark with power metal, like 
my whole goal was to try and find like good examples that maybe Mark wouldn't hate. It wasn't like I was there. Yeah, to, it like, wasn't, a, and it wasn't just a shit fest with me throwing, yeah. you know, throwing up on everything. Yeah, it was, it was just like it was an attempt to sort of like think of like different angles to sort of approach things that we know are kind of difficult for maybe both of us, and and we're up for the challenge. But it's like I just don't have. Cert, that kind of female-led goth metal movement outside of the gathering, who I think kind of exist beyond it, They're, like they I transcend. Don't really, they don't it. even feel that. Like, yeah, they have elements. They they, yeah. they they dip in the sandbox, but in the same way that like like Moonspell dips in that, and like I don't go through all of Moonspell's discography, but like the first like three or four Moonspells I like a lot, and then it's like. I've seen them live on some of those later records. Mm-hmm. I don't like hate those songs, but I They're don't fine. objectively like yeah. go and put them. I'm not going to like put that on in my car. Like, I'm oh, man, listen, I really want to listen to Fifth Moon Spell. Yeah, I'm going to listen to like fucking Alma Mater or something. Yeah, I'm not going to listen Wolfheart to Wolfheart or Simpicato. You know, yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's it's so it's it, it's kind of that. Like there was a moment where like goth metal was big in the late '90s, and I think I was in that world probably more than Mark was, and I was also in the power metal world because that was also <laughs> happening. And then I think I was like almost like simultaneously I just kind of pushed, and I like almost like 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 how you push off like a wall when you're like repelling. Like I pushed and I went somewhere else. You could see it for what it was like. Oh, I'm gonna I was like I was while. in there and I was like ah, I don't think this is like necessarily. I'm not ready. I don't want to grow with these bands. Yeah. And well, so I have memories of it, and I like that scene. Yeah. It has a nostalgia for me, but it's not. Well, here here's the patron exclusive. This is a down the road quite some oh. some bit, but I'm, oh, yeah, I'm currently yeah. working on the history of gothic rock, yeah, in how it pertains to heavy metal. I, yeah, I like that, but yeah. it's a very personal my idea of what I think it is because yeah. there's I've done lots of research so far and there's no consensus. Sure, so it's going to be more like okay, what did I like about that that made me that you know has a parallels to metal? Sure, so, no, I can't wait. That's, that's going to go back that. to sixties, sixties, yeah. yeah, as it should. As as we did with New York in the sixties, as we did with Neurosis, yes, back in the sixties. So it, it won't be a, a ten hour thing, but no, it'll be a. It'll, still. I'm going to try to see if I can get anywhere near, near Jason's level of uh, <laughs> so, uh, of programming. I, so I'm I'll happy try to, to help. <laughs> I'm happy to help in whatever. Area. I'll throw yeah, I'll throw out like where, where I think the touchstones are for for my my liking. But it's it's a weird, it's a very specific. Like it's it's almost like a personal journey sure. thing. Well, and I think it's interesting that the like speaking of like I think now that we've kind of worked through the thrash series and through the neurosis and stuff, something I've talked like a year ago to Jeff Wagner from radical research and many other metal maniacs, decibel, the whole nine yards is doing a typo show mm-hmm. based on his Peter Steele book. Um, not just typo, but maybe even carnivore and the whole sort of journey. Yeah. Um, and I just, I need to get some things like off the shelf before like we're doing this thing with Ian Glasper. Like I want to kind of, Get that? I, there was just like a lot of There's too many plates spinning. Yeah, there at the and time, I've got yeah. notes for a lot of different things. Like, I mean, I think I talked about with the Greek thing. I I had notes for that for like months, just waiting for when like the moment happens. I feel like that's know? that's the way to do it, is have a bunch of things on the burner. Yeah, and when you when you're like inspired to go write something then it's down, like and then time it's to there. expand. Yeah, it's but almost it's like you like, write oh, riffs shit, for a song week. and you have them like saved, ready for like yeah. when you get together with your bandmates and you're ready to start like looking for what 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 songs you want to write off those riffs almost. So. Yeah. And it also makes me listen more, um, actively. Yeah. Cause so I'm like, searching. Oh, I'm in a fucking mood. Like I just, I watched, uh, uh, that damn documentary. That's oh on, yeah. On yeah. prime. And then I went back and I bought everything that I could so far and just been really digesting a lot of that stuff. Cause I remember seeing like listening to phantasmagoria in the, like maybe early nineties, like the, their goth record. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, oh, these guys are pretty cool, but I just assumed that's what they were. So I oh. never went back and I was like, oh, shit, yeah, yeah. they've got some fucking amazing, you know, new rows and some of the oh, yeah. stuff off the first record. And it's just, first and third they're an incredible great, record. Too. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so we're always, you know, as patrons, we're just so you know, we're like the episode we're going to record after this, it's probably something I've been thinking about for like two years. Like yeah. in the back of my mind, subconsciously, and trying to like, like, well, it's, work it's out. part of your origin episode. Yeah, it know? is kind of like a weird origin episode. And it seems to be an origin episode for a lot of other people, which is, yep. I think, one of the cool reasons I wanted to do it. And so um, I think you guys already know because I put it out in social media and asked for testimonials and things. But, you know, that's – so Mark and I are always kind of thinking way down the road mm-hmm. with a lot of episodes. So there you go. So let's get into it. We've got uh, three examples. You pick – as patrons, which of these uh, three you, you like? Uh, <laughs> or if you don't like any of them, let us know. Yeah, that's fine, too. So we have the stance of Evander Sink. Uh, Sinke? Sinke? I think probably just Sink. Sink, yeah. I don't know. French name, maybe? Perhaps. Uh, from My Dying Brides, 34%. Then we got Gothic Romance, Red Roses for the Devil's Whore from Dusk and Her Embrace. And then To Live is to Hide from Unleashed Memories from Lacuna Coil.
To Live is to Hide from Lacuna Coil, A Gothic Romance, Red Roses for the Devil's Whore, and The Stance of Evander Sinke, or Sink. I should have really looked up that pronunciation beforehand. That's all right. We, That's we're, not, all right. we're not good at It that. looks like Sinke uh, a little bit, which is the main character's name in Amistad. I think that's how they like spell it-ish. Mm-hmm. So that's why I keep – that's my, my go-to sense, but I might be completely wrong. So, but, yeah, I'm not an expert in yeah, I'm, linguistics, obviously. Uh, clearly, our <laughs> long-term fans have often teased us about our mispronunciation of like a lot of things and stuff like that. When but, you're this enthusiastic about stuff, you don't have time for pronunciations. That's what we call him Chris. Chris oh. is our pronunciation guy. So back to more questions. And um, kind of interestingly enough, um, these are kind of two shorter questions. Probably, probably Maybe the two most <laughs> off-the-wall questions, I'll be honest with you. So we kind of decided to put them together a little bit later in the episode. But um, Brad Noker uh, sent us just a very simple sort of question. He basically said, um, what would 2001 Space Odyssey be like if it had a black metal soundtrack? <laughs> it was like a real, it was like just a really interesting like, huh. I, I, <laughs> that, it's, it's that perplexes a, it's me. more of a stoner question. Yeah, exactly. Three o'clock in the morning, like, hey, yeah. man, what if this spectral voice was over the top of that? And- yeah. Yeah, so so I started thinking about like how how to approach a question like that, and so I don't know. What are your initial thoughts like about just the aesthetic of like a Kubrick or kind of the the, the weirdness of that movie? I guess um, I my gut reaction to say it would absolutely ruin it. Yeah, I don't I think, think I think he knows that too. I, I don't know what it would necessarily add. I would say maybe the Stargate sequence you could. Do some creative re-editing. That's, I think, where like you could maybe or the the uh, what the hell is the the child Star called? Child Star Child, yeah. which is also uh, Paul Stanley. Paul Stanley, yeah. yeah. So that that's big, big Kubrick <laughs> expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul Stanley. But uh, yeah, like I mean, as a, as an exercise, I think as a soundtrack for spacey, weird, cosmic shit, black metal could be fairly interesting. Kubrick, I wouldn't really mess with it. No. Kubrick was. I would like, more like take Event Horizon or have you ever seen 2010? No. With Roy Scheider? I know. I'm aware of it. I've, I, I've you can borrow it if you want. It. Yeah. Um, so. It's it's like one of those weird. Like you really love that universe and you don't think you want to see something else, but it's kind of neat to see some of those people again. Got it. Some of those space sequences, I could see doing that because it's more of like a kind of like almost a weird horror movie too. Yeah, and so like same with like Event Horizon. Yeah. You know, like that's. Like I could see some kind of like cacophonous stuff like associate with like certain sequences, maybe in like Alien, the first mm-hmm. one, you know, where it's like this, you know, in space, no one can hear you scream. That sounds yeah. like something very much like a black metal kind of like, <laughs> you know, emptiness, blackness, like the, this that sort of aspect. And like some of the most tense parts of 2001, like the... When he's like swapping out the chips and all you can hear is his breathing. Yeah. Like anything else, you it's don't like the absence you don't need of sound. it. Yeah. Or like even like the. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like seeing that a monolith. Weird, and, that weird, yeah. All, all the kind of stuff. I mean, I think he had like Giorgio Leggetti and he had a bunch of like. He's like Tarantino or, or other like filmmakers in that like as he constructs movies, he has like the songs already like kind of picked out, you mm-hmm. know, almost like so. You think of like the aesthetics of like what like that piano piece did and like eyes wide shut and, and some of those kind of things yeah. are, are really kind of Kubrickian. Yeah. I mean, just what he did shit, the music cues and like clockwork orange. And I mean, yeah. Full metal jacket, you know, I like know. the philosophical question, but when, if you try to act 
respond to it as like a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know. Or as like a, a I've I, last year I read a book that was or I listened to an audio book that was 21 hours just on 2001. Nice. So like I there's no exhausting my love of that film yeah, at all. No, there's it's it's endlessly kind of deep and stuff like that. Yeah. I've listened to a lot of podcasts on it, read some books and things that like mention it and talk about it. But between yeah, that Eyes Wide Shut and The Shining, I can watch those anytime. Yeah. And just be completely engrossed. Those are probably the three that I've researched the most of his as well. Um uh Doctor Strange Love as well. Yeah, so, I would I'd throw that in there yeah. too. Um even though like objectively I don't know if I, I don't I don't even know like where my ranking system of his movies, it kinda depends on my mood, you know, because some yeah, there are certain aspects of Full Metal Jacket that I think are really incredible. It's not my favorite Kubrick movie, but um, there has good parts. But yeah, like The Shining, I I still feel the same way watching it as I did the first time seeing it. Mm-hmm. Like unsettling. Yeah, for sure unsettling. Um, yeah, that's another one where the music plays like a really interesting role as well. Yeah, you know, like it, you you're not really aware of it, but like think of like the music that's sort of like playing like when they're cutting those scenes in the shining between um, where the mom and the kid are walking the maze. And then they're cutting back to like Jack Nicholson, sort of like Mm -hmm. looking at the maze. It's that. I don't don't even know what the cute, but it's like playing like, like ethereally in the background. And it's like that ethereal. It's almost like an internal soundtrack of like, yeah, anxiety, or something, something like that. Yeah, and I mean <clears throat> that was kind of a byproduct of like seventies kind of stuff too. I mean, the Omen had a pretty like iconic kind of score and oh yeah, things like all the that. choral arrangements of the singing and stuff. You know, um, all the stuff that you know Argento was doing, or um, you know F- Fabio Frizi for for Fulci and stuff. So you know, horror movies. I, I don't know how we got to there, but anyways, yeah. Well, like, well maybe the like. You could get the atmosphere out of black metal for sure, but when you introduce lyrics and vocals into something that, unless it's abstract, mm-hmm. it's that's almost draws the attention. Well, so like just just for the sake of Brad's question, I decided to like kind of. I know that there is this sort of bizarre subgenre that people refer to as cosmic black metal, and it so happens that Mark and I are good friends with somebody that is a bit of an expert on cosmic black metal, and they did a um, a little Desiblog feature on the top five uh, best cosmic black metal albums of all time, and that, of course, would be our good friend Chris Dick. And um, so we decided to honor his question, uh, one of the the bands we'll be playing is a band called dark space. Um, and that ended up being the number one, um, album and band on Chris's sort of thing. And they put out the, their third record, dark space three, uh, in 2008 on avant-garde, which is a cool record label. And here's what Chris had to say. So I will stumble my way through this, but it is, <laughs> this is pretty, it, it is very, <laughs> is very, this is very Kubrickian, um, you know, in terms of that's kind of wrap your head around it. Swiss luminous thieves, dark space, Featuring Winther from the Boral Masters, Paysage de Iver, and Zorg from the Evanescent Apocrithian have, unlike the rest of our list, had a slightly regarded black metal yore. Their four full lengths, of which 2014's Dark Space 3 uh, or 4 is the most recent, tell pinwheels of terror and beta decay. Indeed, Dark Space's cosmic flurry is influential, and its uncertainty principle landed Dark Space 1 at number 77 on our top 100 black metal albums of all time. But that's not why we're here. Dark Space 3 is a void-gazing effort, 
adorned in Copernican malice and hostile entropy, yet somehow alluring in its quantum resonance. Dark space layer on top ionized cords rot from long dead pulsars and scatter beneath an endless barrage of behind space cyclopean horrors that have no match under our firmament. <clears throat> this is extra-worldly black metal exposed by time-dilated uh, electromagnetic individuals bent on the kingly journey to captivate and then rend to particles beyond feasible apertures. What God hath created, so too are dark space, vanquishing with similar spiteful intent. What's the Copernican thing he says? Um Copernican Malice. I, I think that should be a Dark Throne album. Oh, fuck yes. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I could talk a lot about Copernicus from a historical standpoint, but yeah, just just the idea. I mean, it's like Canadian metal or something like yeah. Copernican Malice. It just Yeah. It just yeah, it has like provocation that I kind of It's dig. just a it's a weird like okay, I, you know both words, but when you put them together it's just like It's like a weird portmanteau ah, where it's okay. like okay, why does that fit together? It doesn't make any sense, but yeah. it works, you know, in a sense. So so that Chris's uh, Chris's whole like approach was very cosmic and very confusing and Kubrickian and all the things that people get frustrated about Intellectual. with 2001 yeah. Space Odyssey. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean 2001 Space Odyssey for people that maybe haven't seen it that are our patrons you know, one thing I always tell people is it's like as close as you're going to get to like, v like pure visual cinema. Like it almost doesn't need dialogue for most of the movie. It's almost completely told with the absence of dialogue. There's only really those like sequences with Hal. That's really only where the, and, where, like, and, the interaction and the whole, between him. And, yeah. and a lot of people find that boring or they just can't, they're like disengaged because it's not like it's forcing them to make sense of what they're seeing. It's like you, silent you, movies without like the, 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 the cards in between, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel like you should, if you're going to watch that, don't casually watch it and yeah. scroll around your phone, like turn off the lights and just watch that. Yeah. Just be in it. And if, and if like by the first like 20 minutes, you're not into it, then just, then I guess give up. But sure. I, yeah, I just, I can't imagine like when that, when they come on 68, 68. Yeah. Um, like people talking about like dropping acid and going to see that. And like, it was a religious experience for people. Yeah. Was like people would run up to the screen and like yell, like I've seen God and shit like that. Like when star child is born, can you think of another film that's even come close to that? As far as just like that visceral opening up, like the potential of mankind, uh, all these mysteries that, you know, not like that. It's just the only like, other like event thing I can think of is like, uh, like when when the Exorcist first premiered and they had to like park ambulances outside because people were like that movie vomiting makes and, me feel the same way too. Yeah, people were like vomiting in the theater and like running out and like yeah, it really fucked people up pretty good more than I think almost any other horror movie ever has. Yeah, that know? era of like you know what, that was seventy, wasn't it? Seventy three, seventy three. Yeah, okay. I was just a glimmer in my parents' eyes at that point, yeah. but. Because that Godfather had set like the new box office record the year prior in '72, and then The Exorcist broke all that record, and then Jaws finally broke Exorcist and, and Star, Star Wars, Wars and, and then it kind of goes from there. But to Michael Bay, and then yeah, well, of course, Michael <laughs> Bay. All roads lead to Michael Bay, inevitably. So I'm hoping we'll have a, a great reset of the film industry, and it'll go back to the '70s with some go more. back to the late '60s, early '70s. That would be, be great. That would be nice. Renaissance of of director, some cheap oriented. Good move, good stories with you know about people who give a shit about not a CG sure everything. Well, speaking of two thousand one Space Odyssey, <laughs> I recently sat through all four hours of Justice League, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. So, Ooh. 
it was almost like a test. I just I, I didn't even see the original, the Whedon one, but I just kind of I'm not a big fan of the DC movies, even though I love the characters. Like I like the comics. Well, we talked earlier. Shaz- I think Shazam is a great movie. Yeah, Shazam and the first Wonder Woman were my two favorite yeah. of this yeah. era of the sort of post Nolan movie kind of universe. And they had their own identity. Yeah, but yet they could still. I mean, I don't really care if they're in the same universe or not. To be honest, like yeah. They they did the the characters well. And sure. That's all that really matters. I don't care if like Aquaman shows up and gives her a high five at the end or whatever. Like, yeah, it, the whole movie was about her and you yeah. know her place and everything. And it made sense all the history and sure. origin and same with uh, and Shazam, Shazam. Just had like a you know I was listening to podcasts one that's kind of near and dear to us a little bit because it's from Detroit um, and it's called the Projection Booth and they do a lot of film analysis and they. They put themselves through the torture of watching the Whedon one back to back with the other one to like, and then kind of cross talk about the differences. And, um, where was I going with this? Damn it. Um, oh shit. I had a point. What were we talking about before? You were talking about Wonder Woman. Oh, Shazam. They basically were saying that they, you could really get a sense that like Shazam was almost a like direct, like overcorrection for like, Whedon and like the darkness of like Batman versus Superman and like it was almost like we need to do something like lighthearted and like that's the character too though it, well exactly but it, you could almost like sense that like somebody in Warner Brothers was like no this you know same with like the Wonder Woman eighty four like it was yeah. kind of lighthearted too but it failed it was terrible but um, well, I thought that yeah like in Shazam the kids it reminded me of like eighty like Goonies and stuff where kids yes. were swearing and they're yeah. smart yeah and they didn't it wasn't like uh this dumb spoon fed crap where you have to just cause it's the kids movies doesn't mean it has to be like, don't insult you know, stupid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like they're way smarter than, than you think. Yeah. I dug, I dug Shazam pretty well too, but, uh, but yeah, anyways, I, I saw the concept it. of superheroes is so ridiculous that if you don't have a little bit of fun in it, it's just a slog to get through. Yeah. Well, like, I heard something I didn't, I never had never heard this quote that, his intention had Superman versus Batman been like more successful or whatever is he, he had said something like that. He wanted to get Batman to the point where he was in prison so that he could have a scene where like Batman is like raped in prison. That was like what his like long-term vision for like creating, like he wanted to like put people through like pathos and darkness of like Batman. And like, people were like, they were talking about like the fuck is wrong with this guy. Like he just he doesn't get he has like this vision of what he wants these characters to do sometimes. He doesn't he understand doesn't, why they resonate with other people. Yeah. It's like he wants them to do what makes him happy and entertained, but he's not really thinking about Yeah. Uh, well like the whole Batman versus Superman idea, it does it works only in the context that they were chums for forty years yes. in the comics and then they That's why, what would take what would be so terrible that they have to confront each other that yeah. way. That's why it works so well in Dark Knight Returns because yes. they're at the end of their careers. Yes. Well, at least the end of Batman's career. Yeah. God only knows how long Superman can actually live. I'm, I'm not really sure if they've crossed but that But yeah, bridge. like Miller was using all the history yeah. that was there before. Not, we've just met each other. Yeah. Oh, your mom is named Martha? Oh, oh that's he's, fucked up. He's so like is a my 12 mom. 12-year-old's. <laughs> it was bad. Oh, my God. I saw that in the theater. I couldn't get out. So that's why I didn't see Justice League. I, I saw like, part of it on TV because it was shot. Parts of it were shot in Detroit. Yeah. So I like fast forward until I saw some buildings. I was like, ah, fuck this. I can't watch yeah. this garbage. Yep. So anyways, <laughs> 2001 Space Odyssey, Justice League, you know. 
But anyways, we were kind of t- the one of the comments they made. And it, it's what struck me is what Mark said is getting back to making like smaller scale movies, cheaper movies, things like that. Is like the guys in the thing were like, I don't think if you gave like Zack Snyder like fifty million dollars that he would know how to make a movie. Like he just doesn't understand like what to do with like. Was Sucker Punch his own material? That might have been a comic. I'm not sure. Okay, because that was um, a mess too. Yeah. Like. He has some, I guess, interesting visual ideas, but they're all played out. They've been used so many times now that I, I just roll my eyes when I see that stuff. And he's like a 50-year-old guy, right, or more? Yep. Like, Jesus, I could write a better script for a superhero movie. By the way, <laughs> in case you were wondering whether or not Jeff Buckley slash Leonard Cohen, Hallelujah, would make another appearance, like it awkwardly made in Watchmen when they're fucking to that song. Uh, it shows up again in this movie. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So apparently from what they were saying on the podcast, and again, not to bemoan the guy, cause I know one of the reasons he left justice league was cause his daughter passed away kind of tragically. Um, that was her favorite song, which is cool. But like, are you like you could honor her a little better than but that? Like, it's also like a song kind of about sex. So it's like a weird song to play for like your passed away daughter. And I, yeah. it's, it's just like a I like did she maybe have like a second favorite song that you could like like sneak in there one time? Or, oh, yeah. It's just like a weird uh, Yeah, weird. I feel like I think you're right. He has like a fundamental misunderstanding of human emotions. Yeah. Like he thinks that the same with like JJ Abrams is that intensity equals pathos and that's not true. Yep. The reason the only reason we care about Star Wars fight scenes is because they have human drama behind them. We don't yes. care that Ooh, look at the the you know the moves that Luke can do. It's like no, he's fighting the father that he thought he lost. Yeah, to save his soul. Like those are stakes. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'll use like an analogy because like one, you know, like I'm kind of I, I I casually watch like wrestling. I'll, I'll usually tune in for like most of the pay per views and things like that. But like I generally am doing something else when most of like the matches are sort of happening. Yeah. I'll look up when like something that advances like characters or story starts to happen, you know, because a lot of it's like, especially if it's on Monday night raw, it's going to be like a throwaway five minute match. Like nothing is going to happen. That's going to change the way I think about like action. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, Oh my God. And if it does, like they're going to replay it 16 times and I'll get to see it then. You know what I mean? So, so it's like what I'm looking for is not the same old, like I'm not looking for another fucking slow motion scene. And my God, does he paint the walls with fucking slow motion? And like, like a fucking master. Is there any, uh, is there any uh, car flipping slow motion scenes? I can't remember. The only, I will say this. There is, there's one really, he, it's like, it's like a broken clock is like right twice a day kind yeah. of thing. And the only slow motion scene that, that works really, really well is the scene where they're kind of fighting Superman. I'm going to spoil this movie for people. If you Nobody haven't seen a the shit. fucking Whedon movie, but, um, I think it's the same thing when he's brought back yeah. and he's like, doesn't know who he is. So he's fighting them all. Mm-hmm. Do you kind of remember that? That seems okay. Ish, but they're trying to put the fucking death of Superman in this too. Yeah. It's, it's like, come it's on. It's so much fucking shit. Yeah. Well, it's two origin movies. It's, it's fucking like yeah. kitchen sink, kitchen sink. So, and they're trying to create like the new gods, like universe and they're just creating a lot like, of ideas. Yeah. The one thing they brought up, uh, well, okay. I'll get to the slow-mo scene and then I'll, I'll, my last kind of comment, um, but there's a cool slow-mo scene where, like, Flash is, like, running around Superman in that point where, he, mm-hmm. like, Superman's, like, beating up everybody else. But S- S- Flash is trying to, like, sneak up. 
and like he's he's like slow mowing and stuff because they're showing him you know like the Flash doing his thing, and like Superman's like fighting somebody, and then like Superman's like eye turns and like looks at Flash, and there's like this moment like where Flash realizes like, oh fuck, he sees me, yeah. like even though like no one else could see him, but like he's like you ain't fucking sneaking up on me. It's kind of like a, it's actually a good use of like. Flash being in like slow motion to like slow everything down for his speed to show a character like moment. that makes sense or right. like the um the I saw there's some uh, a couple clips I saw this uh, online people that review me, uh, movies talking about it and, like the best scene in the movie is where Flash saves the girl from the car yeah and he like grabs like a hot dog that's in midair that he gives to some <laughs> like it was a cute little character moment it's yeah. And you like, can interpret it as like good or bad, or like kind of bizarre that like he just grabbed like a hot dog. I, it was I mean? funny, but then it paid yeah. off because of the he's like yes. rolling around with like puppies. Yes, exactly, or something. But like, yeah, he's feeding it to like the. Yeah, he's trying to interview. For and like even a, that Superman yeah. moment that goes back to like the world's finest, where there's the the episode or there's episode of the animated series, but also the comic where um, Flash and Superman have a race. Uh, yeah, I remember that. that was like so a, that's like a something from the fifties yeah, exactly. or whatever. Yeah. So this, there's like kind of weird things that that work and you know what's funny is like honestly at the end of it i didn't hate it it was a fucking mess yeah but like that's the consensus but there were like enough things like if they were gonna build something off of this universe like i almost would finally maybe be interested in some of these characters um i i definitely wasn't interested in these characters in batman versus superman or you know things like that the other thing that bums me out is like the the color scheme of the movie it's just so fucking drab you know, there's no diversity of character either. Oh, no, like Superman's wearing like gray, like a yeah. gray suit. Like, just fucking put the colors on him a little bit so he can pop a you little. Know what would make be cool uh, is that Batman's me. the dour guy. Yeah, have some Superman bright, is the light he's dark. got the Captain America. Yeah. Like he's this optimistic. He doesn't have to be the oh the weight of the world on my shoulders. There's no like preview to that. It's just right there. It is. Yep, bums me out. No. Yeah. Anyways, there's my take on 2001 <laughs> Space Odyssey and Justice League. You got you got all you signed up for Patreon. Saved four hours right yeah, there. Exactly. So, and then our our next question. So we're gonna play anyways a a, a song from Dark Space. Uh, it's called 3.14 from Dark Space Three. Um, so you know you cosmic black metal fans, you're you get your 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 treat there. All right, and here here's the biggest curveball question of the day, Mark. All right. I feel like I'm going to sneeze. Sorry, I was getting a little nose tickle. Uh, this is Brendan Fligger, one of uh, my former students, um, now graduated, who is a patron. And he, he wanted to ask if we have heard the new Andrew W.K. single, Babylon, and what our thoughts are about it, and do we think that it has any meaning to it beyond the fact that it's about a god that Aleister Crowley sort of talked about. Um. So we actually uh, well, we heard it tonight. We listened to it. And we watched the video, and it has like a disclaimer at the beginning of the video from somebody talking about Andrew WK is not like a supporter of evil or something weird like that. It's it could be uh, interpreted in a lot of weird ways. Yeah, but this is a Ann Arbor native, <laughs> Andrew WK yep, from Michigan, Michigan, Michigan native. So uh, we have and I love like party hard and I you know I, the get wet. You know, yeah, is pretty a phenomenal kind of fun record. You know, with the, like he made his own way. I'll give him like he's not part of a scene or like yeah, he's, he's a, a kinda, singular kind of guy. Kinda guy. Yeah. Um, this I, did, I didn't hate this song. I didn't, but it was like it sounded nothing like it sounded like uh, a Monomarth riff. Yeah. 
with then like uh, just some standard metal drumming, and then he you know has like some he did some interesting vocal things some too, fucking that banshee howls and yeah, stuff at the end, yeah. which is entertaining. But uh, I mean, lyrically, it's different. It's not party music. I don't I don't know what he's going for here because it's just a single that dropped in February, so yeah. it's like relatively new. There's no album surrounding it, so I don't know aesthetically if he's like trying to create a new image. There's a concept or, or uh, yeah, no idea. So slightly. So there you go. There's our hot take. Is I didn't mind it. I don't hate w- Andrew WK. I don't seek out anything besides his debut record. That's the only thing I've really ever listened to from him. That's pr- a lot of people, I think. Yeah, but maybe there's like you know something about his like positivity sure. makes people yeah, feel great or whatever. Like whatever. Well, when we're like drunk up at the you know the cabin we go to <laughs> and stuff like playing yard games and like yeah, you know, um, I came to party and party hard comes on like everybody just fucking like. Starts fist pumping and, and you know it wakes everybody up. It's like a good song to like. It's like a twist your second anthem or something. Or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it's cool that like you know Donald Tardy's drumming for him at certain points. Like he was, yeah, in the I early think, years. I think that was right after or when Obituary is on their hiatus. Okay, yeah. whatever. So there's some some death metal crossover there for you. Yeah. So so anyways, there you go. There's our hot take. So yeah, lyrically, I uh, probably. Yeah, I mean, why else would they put a disclaimer? I think there's kind of something interesting about that. Yeah, it's such a like it's basically because Babylon is spelled differently and associated with Crowley. Yeah, uh, maybe it just made people realize, like younger generation, realize who Alistair Crowley is. Sure, he's the do what thou wilt guy, right? Yeah, he's the uh, he's <laughs> well. That, that's all the kids would yeah. know. He's the subject of uh, Ozzy Osbourne's Mister Crowley. That's all he needs. Mister Crowley, great song. It is. Yeah, uh, he's also on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh, that's true. If you, uh, I think I still have some available. My uh, Morbid Tales, the Celtic right. Frost book. He has a little uh, cameo in one of my my origin story for Tom G. Warrior. Okay. Where's that kind of come into play? Was Tom G like just kind of interested in occult stuff? Is or well, he would no, he was into the Beatles. Oh yeah, got it. And he would just sit there studying that album cover. Got and it. So I extrapolated that that made him open his mind to uh, what was possible. There you with. Go. Yeah. Ooh, ugh. <laughs> uh, oh one. Hey, speaking of this, uh, somebody I can't remember who somebody posted something about Celtic Frost and digging them. And I do you know about the Twitter bot, the Tom G Warrior UG account that every time oh, anytime you, post, you mention yeah, he just so I I took a screenshot of that and even though it was a Facebook post and I just posted the 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 UG thing and it was thumbs up liked by Tom G Warrior my comment <laughs> and I was like I've arrived all right yeah nice. when Tom G Warrior likes your comment where you're kind of like uh, yeah yeah he liked the uh, when I did the last the decibel the Triptychon Requiem thing yeah. He uh he actually reposted it. Cool. And said, What an honor. I was like, Oh, I know he means whatever he says. So, so that was that very, means if very we nice. do a Triptychon episode, we can maybe get Tom G to maybe make some comments. Perhaps. He might he might be down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, remember last time we saw him live, he smiled and made some jokes. So maybe he's like coming into the like twilight of his career where he can kind of let his guard down a little bit. Yeah, I think he's he's turning a hitting a point, maybe just like I don't know. I can I can kind of understand like yeah. you hit a certain level of, of maturity in your life where you can kind of let shit slide off your back and still be productive and sure. make good stuff. You don't have to be like angsty. Yeah, yeah. just like watching like the Rolling Stone Danzig interviews where he's smiling the whole time. Yeah, this is from fuck like six seven years ago sure. at this point. But well, he's not like as wound up as he once was. Yeah, you know, he's not the cat litter small guy man anymore. syndrome yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. 
So let's do it. Let's get into, uh, we got Dark Space uh, from Dark Space 3. This is Dark Space 3.14. And then the aforementioned, you guys will finally get to hear Andrew WK <laughs> on the Requiem Metal <laughs> Podcast. So enjoy Babylon.
So it's Babylon from Andrew WK and Dark Spaces 3.14 from the third Dark Space record. Thank you, Chris Dick, once again for not even knowing that he was helping contribute to what we were all about. So as we kind of uh, wrap things up with this kind of Requiem Q&A sort of episode, so thank you again to all the patrons that reached out to us. And if, you know... If you have, if there are patrons that are hearing this going, oh, fuck, I didn't know that we could send questions, please send them. Like, we'll bring them up in future. We don't mind. Like, we can just know. do a segment on the patron yeah, shows. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, you know that there, we're pretty loose with most of our patron shows unless we're doing um, something very specific, you know, like the Heathen Show and, and some of the Thrash stuff. But Yeah, um, those are more just pure bonus episodes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So these are just, just something we thought uh, we're in the midst of putting together a couple kind of big regular episodes that we've sort of alluded to. And so this is kind of a fun, lighthearted, uh, easy episode for us to kind of throw together. So before we get to our kind of final question, um, kind of just a, a funny activity. Uh, we're actually recording this probably a little later than we anticipate it because uh, <laughs> we we kind of got onto a weird project. Um, I was telling Mark about how last night I had some friends over and we were kind of having a dinner, hanging out. And... Um, somehow baseball cards kind of came up and I was talking about, uh, you know, I dug through like an old set of baseball cards and found like a, a Barry Bonds rookie. That's kind of a, kind of tough to find or whatever. And so one of the people at the dinner party, like looked it up and was like, Oh, like it ranges from like, I've seen some for like 400 to like, like 600. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, you know, like, I know I have cards that are worth money, but I'm I still think in like 1992 prices because that's like the last time I looked at like baseball card prices. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and this is a trend that's happening right now is that any physical format is going through the roof right now. Yeah, like back issues of the comics are doing. Yeah, the same we've thing. talked about that with like our Uncanny X Men kind of conversation, action figures, everything. Stuff. Yeah. So like we started pulling out a bunch. I have a Jerry Rice rookie and the Ken Griffey Jr. '89 uh, upper deck rookie, which is kind of an iconic card. And some of that shit. Was, I just think of shitting on the toilet for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, an upper deck. Yeah. It's upper worth a lot of money, Mark. <laughs> but um, yeah. So some of those, like the Jerry Rice one, had it been in mint, we saw some that were going for like sixteen thousand dollars. Now. Is mine worth that? Fuck no, it's not. I don't, would never expect to get shit like that. But it became this whole like conversation piece, like what other fucking gems are you hiding and stuff. So we unearthed a lot of those last night. And so when Mark came over, you know, Mark's been kind of talking about like going through some of the toys I have in storage because you kind of were like, hey, I might you know be able to help you. I've been sell yeah, these I've been like a, things like that. A long term toy enthusiast. Not a, I haven't been a collector for years, but I yeah. sold it all off. But I still really love and I have all that. You know, just like you do with like sports stats stuck yeah. in the back of your head Yo, somewhere. It was it was quite impressive <laughs> as we were out in my my attic out in above the garage, kind of a loft thing, pulling down toys, and he would just be you'd be like pulling out like, oh, this is the gun for blah blah blah. It's, it's like Rain Man stuff. Yeah, it was yeah. it was pretty impressive. Yeah. And I, as a fellow Rain Man person with like random music knowledge and other pointless, useless historical facts, I could relate and. It was so we unearthed, we bagged a bunch of G.I. Joe pieces, Star Wars pieces, Transformers, Turtles, Ninja Turtles shit, uh, some Brave Star. Yeah. For those of you that are Berenstein r- Bears. Real edgy. Oh, was there? <laughs> yeah, some Berenstein. Yeah, then there was like the, the Kissy McDonald's too. toy. Yeah. yeah, there was some. Yeah, any old school Kissy Fur fans out there, I've got your shit. So just, the fur's mostly kissed off this yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, these are pretty beat up. 
Um, but yeah, so anyways, we were inventorying toys and it was really fun. nice to see the, uh, the Star Wars stuff because there was like, yeah, tell stuff them. still in the box. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was like opened and played with, but you don't often even see had, like, original. It was played with, but it even had like the insert cardboard pieces that like hold yeah. the ships in. Yeah. And some of those you can, if they're a little warped, but they're in good shape, you can iron them and get them back into pretty good yeah. fighting shape. But all the vehicles weren't yellowed, which is a really common thing. There's like, three or four Chewbacca's in the first thing that opened up and a bunch of like vintage guns that are, yeah, might be the most valuable thing that's in there, which is kind of stupid, but yeah, that's so, where we're so at right now. Toy parts, uh, you know, get a hold of us pretty quick. Yeah. We'll figure I, out. Well, I start. I, I, there's, there's some avenues I can probably get that, stuff but I'd like to, you. I can broker them for you. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be my guy. So I think I'm trading him a castle gray skull and, uh, Oh, it depends on the prices you get out of these things. Oh, if you're yeah, getting thousands cool. of dollars off. Yeah, I'll have to take a little finder's fee, too. Yeah, that's but. <laughs> fine, too. But I initially said, hey, for help me organize this, you can because you found a Castle Grayskull, he meant yeah. Castle, and then there's something else you wanted. Oh, oh it's just the Bespin Luke. Bespin Luke. That's yeah. the only Star Wars guy I really need. There you go. If yeah. I can find a C-3P and R2-D2. Does, does it have the scar on it? This is Bespin Luke. I, know, I can't remember. No. If it has no. The, the There's scar like four different it. versions of it, though. Okay. Oh, really? Yes. Dang. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so anyways, we just wanted to share that because you guys are a part of our nerd culture and you guys like to know the stupid, weird shit we're into. Yeah, it's fun to to have see that that stuff's still stuck in your head. Yeah. And it's like, it's fun to like unearth your childhood a little bit and realize yeah. that like some of it wasn't valueless. <laughs> well, yeah. Even if everything. I played with all that shit, like yeah. it's beat up. Those toys have been played with, you know, but. But like, it's just, I just, I like to just see the stuff again. Like that's. As an adult, as who enjoys like seeing old vintage toys, just like looking at stuff is fine. Yeah, or I get books about it. I don't need to have this all the sure. stuff. Like, I've got one. I have the six million dollar man, the twelve inch guy. I have a Optimus Prime that's the same size, and then I have a sixties GI Joe and just a couple little random yeah. things I found really cheap. You used to have a bunch, but then you sold. I used them to have every GI Joe thing from nineteen eighty to nineteen eighty eight, minus the. The U.S. flag, right? Minus the flag. Flag, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, and I sold it for not that much, but it was a was lot your, of years was ago. Was your Terradrome in pretty good shape? Yeah, it was a nice yeah. shape. I had we, everything that was there, fire bat and pilot. And yeah, everything. we unearthed my Terradrome. It's, it's seen better days, but... Uh, I did find, when I lived uh, worked at Relapse, I had an entire extra room in my house that was just G.I. Joe stuff. G.I. Joe shit? That's hilarious. And when Amorphous came over to, to hang out yeah. for whatever reason, I don't, that wasn't really the era of toy collecting as much yeah and people are just kind of like what the what is this stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. you were just ahead of the game on the, the yeah. toy collecting oh, you're cutting edge so but yeah so that was kind of a fun endeavor that we got, got yeah. into today so so we got one final question that we got from uh from vox adams um and he says i have this constant wonder if we've reached an area of music especially in the metal scene where nothing is new or game-changing one that vividly stands out in my mind are those in the shock rock category seeing how ozzy osbourne alice cooper and even kiss influenced bands like marilyn manson slipknot and uh more bands in the industrial metal area do you guys think there will be even another round of bands that we look back on in 40 or 50 years like we currently do and say without them we wouldn't have gotten this Although not considered shock rock, I look at Slayer as a band that paved the road for some of these bands we see now, like Cattle Decapitation and Infant Annihilator, for example, with some of their imagery and lyrics. Obviously, Slayer's lyrics compared to those two bands are no comparison, but you get the point, I hope. So, I don't think we're going to have milestones like those, but they'll be different incremental yeah. little bits. Because like, 
Like who do you? You see go in the from last? like Arthur Brown and uh, like to like Cooper and like the the shock rock kind of like sure. hierarchy. And once you get a certain, I mean, really, once you get past Jesus, like. I mean, Marilyn like Manson Cooper, and then like the jumps the last, to like Rob Zombie. Yeah, and Marilyn Manson, I think, scared people like irrationally in the way that like Ozzy did in the eighties. Yeah, you know, like. But internet generation that doesn't have the same effect. No, I don't think they're really scared by much. You can they're like, almost desensitized. They're like yeah. overexposed to like. You can easily dispel all of it too. They've seen, yeah, they've literally seen all of it. Like yeah, like I don't know. My kids don't react if they hear death metal vocals in my classroom. They just kind of like. I mean, it's like it's whatever. dad music now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, so look look at his old guy playing death metal. Yeah, in his camo shorts. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Come on. But yeah, that's a weird. I think it's more of it's a it's a incremental thing Um, because we're fuck. We're not even a hundred years into rock and roll. No. So, who's to say? Like, look if you follow like the movie trajectory, is there anything really truly groundbreaking happening? Probably not. Yeah. But there's like incremental. It's like refinement of genres. Yeah. You know? But like... Like art house films now aren't fundamentally different than art house films in the in the 60s, say, except for they're coming from different cultures that yeah. didn't have filmmaking as, you know, say France did or something. I guess I'm thinking like in, in film, you know, who was like the last truly like revolutionary person to sort of bust through, you know, Lynch. I mean, I think Lynch like changed a lot of the ball game in a mainstream and an underground cinema way. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, people like Paul Thomas Anderson and um, some of those, I mean, Tarantino was just doing sort of pastiche stuff and he's good at it. I think Anderson's like, the same way, just on a different level. Yeah. Different Wes area. Anderson, Paul Tampa, you know, you got the, both, the, the both Andersons, Andersons are both kind of doing. So, so like, again, nobody's like a Kubrick or a Hitchcock or a Lynch. Like those are people that like, like they literally created like a genre, like that's yeah. Hitchcockian, that's Lynchian, yeah. that's Kubrickian, you know, like, you know. People thought that a little bit of, um, what's his nuts, that did uh, like the following and uh, Nolan. Oh, yeah. And I Nolan think, has an aesthetic. He has he an does. aesthetic, but in in further rewatchings of a lot of these, it's all pretty kind of, mm. Yeah. Um, his style, like. It's not as genius as you think it is. It's it's innovative from a stylistic standpoint, but it doesn't like have like a lot of intellectual value all the time. It has pseudo intellectual value. Yeah, it's very pseudo. That's yeah. that's why I it, like and like the Kubrick stuff and Hitchcock is actually you can intellectual. Kind of go back to the well, and you get like yeah. more out of it and stuff. And um, like I think that's like the true sign of like great art is you can yeah. constantly get something out of it. But I can't think of a whole lot of they're just like just incremental. Sure. Things even with, with film. I can't think of like a director who I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah, new ones. That I like Zoller, but he's not changing anything. Yeah, either. he's just kind of doing genre films. But really. he does them really well. Yeah. But they're throwback too. It's sure, like, yeah, it's like retro genre. And that's how I feel with most like, uh, most death I mean, metal is like partially throwback. Nothing's truly like mind blowing. Like yeah. Blood Incantation's doing cool shit, but it's not any different. Like, I mean, it's who- just like Morbid Angel, but. Slightly different, added a couple things to it. So let's go, let's just go back from like 2004. Let's just look at the last two decades because mm-hmm. all the bands he brought up were obviously prior to that. Yeah. You know, who, who are having like resonance, you know, I think, I think you could put like maybe like a Mastodon in there, like mm-hmm. in terms of like having some like, you know, in, impact. 
even though I don't really give a shit about him, like you could maybe make an argument that Meshuggah has had some like ripple effects the last two decades that are like we're still oh, I think so. feeling. Yeah, that we're not even aware of yeah, because not, we don't follow we don't really that care about the those genres. The, that stuff. Um you know, I think Dillinger that we talked about earlier. Yeah, you know, like Watain. Um, Watain, one hundred percent. Um which if dissection was still around, I think that would have been the one. Yeah. But I think if Emperor I think, at the gates I think too. if Emperor had stuck around. Yeah. I mean I think Emperor did their damage they did. And, and moved on. But like at the gates kind of like yeah. slaughtered influence that whole yeah, maybe fucking genre slaughter might have been like the last kind of like thing on like a slayer like level that yeah. like really like opened the floodgates of like and that was 95 yeah i know that was 25 26 years ago yeah um like i think converge has done yeah their Jane fair Doe, share of being able to like these like that. these bands that have like genre has kind of fallen away a little bit yeah because and there's a lot of things that people call say oh this is black metal i was like okay like I couldn't tell if you just by listening to yeah, it, yeah. like you used to back in the day. So it's like there's so many different elements that are added onto this stuff now that it just sure it's just a different world. It's hard to even compare. Yeah, I just like in the especially in the, like the short term. Like we're only this you know 20 years away from 2000. I know it's like I mean bands that are purported to be kind of in the modern sense to be like really important. Like I don't know, like a Paul Bear or a Chemist or something like that. Like. Are people, are they really changing the game five years from now? I don't really know. I don't think so. You know, I mean, there are a lot of copycats of those bands. Yeah. If if that's like what that means, then I guess they're having some impact. But, but I feel like if, if you're going to really, if you're a historian from the future, going back to look at, you know, whatever, what, whatever you call Paul Bear's type of music, you're going to go back to trouble. Yeah. Before that, you're not going to be like, oh, this Paul Bear, this just changed the Yeah, you're going to look thing. at Cathedral or Electric Wizard or, or some, yeah. some, something else Sleep. that had a deeper, yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't think that's like why, I, and I think it's a problem maybe for metal. I don't know if that's, you know, I think metal has longevity on some level. I mean, I think metal needs to, we've talked about this before, maybe find a way to try and diversify itself a little bit more so it can kind of like expand its boundaries. And that's always tough, but I think that's probably the next journey it kind of needs to go on. I think that's um, almost uh, should be left on the shoulders of the artist. Sure. Because the, the boundaries right now are still are pretty broad. Yeah. And where do you, if the, if the boundaries are too wide, then where does the, when does it just stop becoming metal? I guess. Yeah. But I guess what I was kind of getting at is like, I don't know if anything in modern metal is going to be like transcending anymore because none of it is, has the, I, the mainstream exposure to like change minds the way like Ozzy or Sabbath or Slayer or I, it's just metal so underground now that like, like to me, like hip hop is a genre that can like change minds with like newer artists because they have the platform and the forum to be able to do it. And, and yeah, but and I feel like hip hop's in the same it. thing as metal right now because what you what you hear that's popular it sounds exactly the same as yeah. The popular stuff is sort of garbage, but there are like real iconoclastic things happening like the last ten years in hip hop and the underground. Yeah, you know, like Kendrick and and, and some of that stuff. That I think will have resonances the way, like uh, there are records when they're kind of put out, like you felt it. I know you weren't like a big fan at that very moment. It wasn't probably for a couple of years, but like when OK Computer came out, like you kind of like, it just, you really, you kind of got this sense like this is, this is going to like knock down some doorways or whatever. And people yeah. still talk about that record with kind of a certain amount of reverence and. You know, I think people felt that way about I don't know, Beatles records or, or 
you know, things that just like the second they were released, you kind of knew. And I just feel like those records aren't really coming out that much anymore in almost any genre. I think a lot of that has to do with the distribution too, because we don't have the gatekeepers aren't what they once were. Sure. You don't have the MTV or your radio DJs that really were. And you also don't have, uh, you don't have like a, a Danny Fields type character that's going to like, you know, hold the hand and like give people the time to mature into a, yeah. a different, like the, the people that could see potential and let it grow. Like that's, you got to do that all on your own right now. And the, the payoffs, even if you do get mildly successful in metal are usually you're not, it's, yeah. it's all still just for fun sure, or for a little bit extra scratch, but it's not like your, your job, unless you're like a Mastodon or Opeth or something. Yeah. Even Opeth, I'm surprised that that's like a full-time thing. Yeah. That's true. But, the, you know, I mean, it's hard their to popularity say too, because is huge. There's like bands that like really didn't reach like a zenith of popularity when they're around, like a Velvet Underground or like Joy Division. And mm-hmm. it's only in their like wake where like the ripple effects are sort of felt. So sure. there might be a band right now that is happening, you know, whether it's a Blood Incantation or, you know, somebody like that. Um, I'm trying to think of like albums of the year, like the last, I mean, maybe even like tribulation, like tribulation. We don't know what they're going to do next, but maybe there's like a younger generation that are absorbing what like tribulation and solitude. I feel like tribulation will be in for the long haul. I think so too. Looking back through the annals of, of extreme metal, I think they're definitely going to make it in there. Yeah. And I think they, they're starting to have like a, like I think of tribulation a little bit the way I used to like think of like Catatonia 20 years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a fondness for them in that sort of sense. They're starting to like build like enough of a foundational repertoire. And yeah, we've been with them basically since the. I think we heard the second record first, then went back and heard the horror. The horror, yeah. And then just like it all, we kind of like grew with them too. Mm-hmm. Even though they're fuck, they're like thirty one or thirty two right now. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> We're older than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could be their parents, but yep. yeah. There's there's certain there's still those. That's what makes me still stoked about. You know, not just listening to the same old shit. Like, there's new bands that, that get me excited, and that's cool. But, um, it's that's that's like not what I'm excited about anymore. Which is kind of a recurring theme on the shows. We're we're looking backwards, yeah, like to what where things came from, and the new stuff is more of kind of a that'll be for the next generation to to yeah. deal with. Yeah, and maybe you know, maybe we know and like three or four years about a record, but it's hard to know within a year. Like, yeah, unless it's like, like you got a sense when surgical steel came out, like what it was, but that's also cause you knew who carcass was. So like, there yeah. was like, there was already a backstory there. You weren't like trying well, to like, yeah, there's uh, imagine what this new band was going to become. There's that, that fucking, that Finnish black metal ish band. That sounds a little bit like Bathory, a little bit like Immortal. That's really fucking sweet that we played on some show not too long ago. Okay. It's got the black and white cover with the two dudes with swords. Oh, Kar- Karakunin or yeah, yeah. Kar- yeah, like that band's great. Har- and I left. I listened to it for you know like a week. Yeah, and then it's just like, what's the longevity of that? Because I, I think I'm I'm getting have have havukrunu havukrunu h a v u k yeah r runu r u u n u like that that's exciting but it's not like I don't know they they feel like little like like flings like yeah. oh I'm super into this girl for a week or two or whatever and then it's like I'm just going to go back to my old lady cuz I know Paris lost best you know it's I don't know if that's a a maturity thing or not cuz I think when you hit a certain age the the seeking isn't quite as important as it is like the absorption yeah 
Well, I also think too, I don't know if it's like the way that media is delivered. I think the way that media is delivered too, like has an effect on that. Like, like I'll run through TV shows in like a day and never go and back. It's like, again. cool. I, I, it's like an accomplishment. Like I listen to that or I, I watch that and now I can check that off. It's like as, doing a crossword puzzle as like a sense of, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, there's a, like a certain disposability that, that it's kind of frustrating. I was, whatever. yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine who works at the a record store that I, I frequent, I used to work at, uh, we we're talking about like, yeah, there was just, when we were younger, we didn't have, I mean, obviously we didn't have the internet. Um, and we only had so much money. Yeah. So we had to really absorb what we had. Yeah. And, yeah, it's um, like a frequent thing. I think we bring up like every yeah, episode. Yeah, it's just like yeah, but that was, that's the first time somebody else has talked about sure, it with me. So it's like, oh yeah, yeah, no shit, man. That's 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 it. So you get your fourteen bucks, you go buy a CD, and you absorb it until you spend time with it for a while. Yeah, like that's all you got, and you can your really only get stuff out of it. Are to like turn on MTV or to turn on the radio. Yeah, we didn't. Uh, and yeah, and the radio was hmm. yeah. We had like a what a couple decent jazz programs on PBS, but there was no like. Good, but I didn't good know rock. About that then, yeah, yeah. You know, like, but yeah, as far as like anything outside of just pop, was yeah, limited. Z ninety three. You might hear KQZ, the captain. You might, you might screaming hear screaming kabooby. Yeah, that's where I heard Carcass for the first time. What did they play? On the metal show. Do you remember that metal? Uh, it was called the Metal Shop. Metal Shop. It was on yeah. like Saturday nights. Yeah, yeah. They played Buried Dreams right okay. before Heartwork came out, and I, was I know like, that was a whoa. <laughs> Get, yeah, getting death metal vocals on the radio was a it was a, a struggle, big fucking deal. Yeah, but I mean they played a lot of mainstream like grungy type shit, so like you could get that from it. But... Grun truck. Hey, I like grun truck. <laughs> they're good. They're like a, they're like a hidden gem of the Seattle scene. <clears throat> so grun truck, uh, some of those dudes Mind went Funk. on to something. Mind Funk's not bad. Uh, their debut is better than you think it is. Yeah. Who the fuck? Oh my god, this is gonna drive me crazy. Grunt I'm just I'm thinking of all the things from uh, Concrete Corner. No, this would be samplers. like stuff like uh, Mother's Day Out, who weren't as terrible as their name. I will tell you that, but cool. they weren't. Just also, like Dog Eat Dog. Um, you remember them? I kind of do. Um, dog Eat Dog. Yeah, I kind of kind of remember them. Okay, no blunts, no something soapbox politics. So Gruntruck was formed out of. Um, Skinyard, and Skinyard was like around with the Melvins in Mother Love Bone and, and stuff. So they were like okay. the progenitors of like the Seattle scene. So yeah. like the the uh, vocalist and drummer from Grunt Truck came from Skinyard, and the drummer actually had been in Soundgarden, uh, like really an early incarnation. And then the lead guitarist Tommy Niemeyer came from the Accused. Okay, yeah. This this is the kind of coverage you get. By yep. donating each month to yep. Patron. Exactly. And then uh, bassist from Grunge Truck, Tim Paul, had been in uh, a Portland punk band called Final Warning. So I'm sure, yeah. So anyways. Yeah, they, were, they, they weren't terrible. Uh, they, you know, I think they were on Roadrunner. So. That's some of the covers. Yeah, yeah. It was like that chick with like body paint on or whatever. Push. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. you'd probably be into it now that you're more into Alice in Chains. You'd yeah. be like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I kind of want to just stick with them. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of done. Like, even like going back and revisiting some Soudengarden stuff, Like, I really like Cornell's voice more than the rest of the band. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm going to disagree with you there. That's, well, that's, that's we're Americans. We can I do know, whatever we want. I know. I love Soundgarden's very eclectic, like musically. Yeah. I prefer like 
bad motor finger ish, like up till that point and the stuff before is fine, but it's not, I don't yeah. know. Bad motor finger is the first thing I really digested. Yeah. Loud love. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't, I'm Soundgarden's up there for me, you know, in terms of child act, but, but like Nirvana, I don't really care. Yeah. I heard enough. Um, well, I don't like Pearl Jam. Yeah. Pearl Jam's sort of the odd one in that they really weren't, they got lumped in. They shouldn't have been. Yeah. Like I, th- they I mean, come the out of Mother Love Bone, but like they really were more kind of coming out of like, I don't know, something else. They yeah. were kind of like more of like a jam band kind of thing. Yeah, that's know? what it, I, I'm not a guy of so. of jamming. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So as we wrap things up here, um, we figured one of the bands that we sort of mentioned as an answer there is Watain because I think Watain is. Uh, and again, I think Watain falls a little bit more under the shock rock a- aspect too. We didn't mm-hmm. really kind of go into that. That they, you know, them playing live like freak people out, and even well, they got even Jess alluded meat and to shit it all before. the way on the stage, and it smells like death. And yeah, but the music was good too. It wasn't just like it was catchy and and it did sort of the job and stuff yeah. like that. So we figured a, a good way to sort of roll out uh, of this episode is uh, with they rode on uh, from the Great Hunt and. The much maligned Great Hunt. Yeah, a little bit of a controversial record. We've never played anything off this record, I don't think, because when we did our Watain episode, I think the last, uh, we did Lawless Darkness, the the record before. It was like where we ended our discography. Yeah, so, yeah, that didn't even come out by the time we... Yeah, this is like 2013 or 2014, I believe. So Jesus. kind of interesting vocals on this. Yeah. You know, he's kind of doing like a Bathory kind of hammer heart kind yeah, of I stuff. Yeah, I, I had no problem with them trying to branch out and yeah I think the, the amount of, that they were touring why why stick to doing exactly the same thing absolutely it's not like you're gonna start doing like pop music with no you know sheep heads on the stage and stuff exactly exactly so <laughs> a, a good way to go out so patrons once again thank you uh we appreciate all the questions uh you know it's not often we get to talk about um lacuna coil andrew wk and star wars Dillinger escape plan thing, and yeah. Star wars uh, yeah and star wars and ken griffey jr rookie cards all yeah. in one episode but hey at at, at requiem metal podcast that's what we bring to you you're so, worth it yeah we appreciate patrons so uh for watain the great hunt and they rode on i am jason and i'm mark
distance there. 